Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Recorded live. Food prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe, all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Few things in this world are more important than clean, pure water. Understanding this, ABR makes four tabletop water distillers available to you for purchase. First, we have the five and a half hour per gallon with polycarbonate collection jug for $139. The second is a five and a half hour per gallon with glass collection jug for $189. The third is a three and a half hour per gallon with polycarbonate collection jug for $189. And our premier tabletop distiller is a three and a half hour per gallon with glass collection jug for $250. All our distillers have a stainless steel boiling pot, dome, and cooling tubes. And the premier version also has a splash flap to protect against contamination of the cooling tubes. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com for more information and protect your water supply. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific.
Hi, good evening all. This is the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Stephan. You're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. It is the 14th of January, 2015. It's Wednesday evening, about nine minutes after 8 p.m. Pacific time. So when you adjust for your time zone and all that good stuff, if we end up being live, that means you can participate in the show. 800-596-8191 is how you do it over the phone. And if you're on the Internet and you'd rather not talk but you'd like to participate, you can go to the chat room. You don't have to participate either, folks. You know, I mean, you can just chat with the other folks or just watch them. But if you want to go there, it's theamericanvoice.com or americanvoiceradio.com. See the chat link over on the left-hand side? Click it. Follow the easy instructions, and boom, you're in there. And there you are. That's pretty much that. All right. So it is Wednesday night. I uh, don't have any uh, housekeeping stuff. So we'll just bring Melissa, who assures me that she's ready to go. And uh, Melissa Roxanne hosts her own show on Monday evenings, live, 6 p.m., New World Order Info. Welcome, Melissa. Thank you. Wow. Wow. Okay. I was shocked. It's true. It's been that way. I've been going great. One one. time before this has been this way. Last Wednesday, my show, and now it's the third time in a row. Okay, then. All right. Well, uh, I actually do have one thing. I could have said that I said earlier, and yeah. that's about a guest that's going to be on the show tomorrow uh, for uh, the Salt Brow. Why don't you give the message, because you're a big fan. Thomas Levy, um, he's a vitamin C expert. He used to have his own vitamin C clinic where he treated people with vitamin C, and he's an author and a cardiologist and an attorney, and he is very well-versed in telling people their rights, you know, in getting vitamin C and helping people to do so and giving, you know, lectures, speaking around the world regarding this and vitamin C and all the things it can do for everybody, you know, including animals even. So he, he actually used it on his own dog. Unfortunately, he didn't give the dog but one dose and dog was near death, then the dog started running around like nothing was wrong with it, then he didn't give the dog another dose, and it died. So, you know, you got to know not just to take it, but how often and how much and all those type of things. So, And he's a big believer and proponent in the liposomal, lipospheric, et cetera kind. So, and I'm sure he has his own type of vitamin C available too. So, anyway... His site is peakenergy.com, and it'll be a very interesting show, I'm sure. People can call in and ask questions, or even in the chat room, you know, if Frank's watching, he can ask those. 6 to 8 p.m. tomorrow on the Sulphur Hour, plus one, you can hear that guest, Dr. Thomas Levy. All right, well, there you go. Couldn't have said it better myself. So, I'm looking forward to it. Okay. Well, that's good. So, and I'll let you go first because you say you never get to talk. I do not say that. You always say that. Never. 
Um, yeah, so there's this mom in Minnesota, in Madison, Minnesota, and her son, since 2011, um, his name is Trey Brown. He was 11 years old then, and he suffered a traumatic brain injury. He was struck in the skull with a baseball and put into a coma, and he had bleeding in his brain due to that. And finally awoke from the coma. He was, quote, a shell of himself, end quote, and suffered from chronic pain, seizures, learning disabilities, and suicidal thoughts. Now 15 years old, and he said, his name's Trey, he said, I cry like every day before I go to bed, like my brain is about to blow up because there's so much pressure. And his mother, Angela Brown, she's 38, she searched for ways to help her son, you know, and alleviate all of his pain and agony. And uh, he was put on 18 different pharmaceutical drugs, but the problems persisted. And the side effects made him even more suicidal, of course, you know, because they're pure poison and they don't really do anything for for people. They just make things worse, especially when they put you on a cocktail like that, you know, I'm sure multiple drugs at once, so... He told his mother he didn't want to live anymore. So she saw one final option after a lot of research, cannabis oil. It was recently approved for medical use in a number of states. The oil has shown remarkable results in patients with pain and seizures. Of course, treating cancer and, and healing that, you know, so uh, many things. A doctor recommended the family seek the treatment in Colorado, you know, because I guess they have legalized medical use, right? Well, no, they got legalized recreational and medical. medical. Yeah, it's just legal there. Colorado and Oregon now has both of those two. And I know Washington, I'm not sure exactly what they passed, but something. Who? Washington, didn't they? Yeah, medical and recreational. Okay. And so in March of 2014, the family took a trip to Boulder, Colorado, to obtain a bottle of cannabis oil legally from one of the state's medical marijuana dispensaries, and the results were incredible. His pain subsided, and the migraines went away, the muscle spasms stopped, and he was finally able to do better in school. His mom said it was a miracle in a bottle. So he continued to take the oil for about a month, and... What happened was his school became inquisitive about how he had shown so much improvement and asked his mom, and she was totally naive, and she said she described herself as an open book, unfortunately, so she eagerly told his teachers about, you know, what they were using, and she said, well, I gave him an oil that we'd gotten from Colorado. It's derived from a marijuana plant. She says, and then you could feel the tension in the room. So the school administrators wasted no time in reporting her to law enforcement. She had technically broken the law by returning to Minnesota with this forbidden oil, and the Chippewa County Sheriff's Department arrested her. Her name's Angela Brown, and she was charged with two gross misdemeanors, including child endangerment due to substance possession and criminal jurisdiction, which can contributes to the need for child protective services. The oil that they were using was confiscated and the treatment was ceased. 
So his agonizing pain, swelling, muscle spasms returned, and he said school was really hard again. Chronically, the problem is not a refusal of the Minnesota State Legislature to ease up on cannabis patients. In May 2014, Minnesota became the 22nd state to pass a medical marijuana law. The problem is that it doesn't go into effect until July 2015, the same as Oregon. And, and they're actually prosecuting yeah. people still? Yeah. So um, I'll tell you, that the public school system should be shut down, yeah. and every teacher that's involved with them should go to jail. I, I believe that. Every so now she's facing up to jail. two years in prison, and this could result in a $6,000 fine, and her children could also be taken away. So, um, you know, they're going to court over this, and there have been supporters that have shown you up. You know what, they, they're not going to, the courts aren't going to do squat. What she needs to do is to petition the governor of Minnesota for a pardon and screw this. Put him on the hot seat. Make him act. Or her, whoever's the governor of Minnesota. I don't even know who the governor of Minnesota is. But, you know, governors can pardon you. I mean, and, and she's got every reason in the in the world to do that because it's like, to. listen, this is legal. Yeah. Okay, it doesn't go into effect right. until now. Maybe but, in Colorado, but, but, you know. But the people already voted for it. The yeah. legislature already passed it. Whatever way it went, it's going to be law. It's right, law, and right. you're prosecuting me for this? Yeah. I want a pardon, she and it says, helped my kid. You know, her uh, just the district attorney refused to drop the charges. Uh, this simply is not a situation where someone has endangered their child. Her attorney said, Michael Hughes, filed a motion to dismiss on behalf of her, and the judge reportedly has 90 days to decide whether to grant the motion. And she said, you know, how is endangering your child taking his pain away? If someone answers that for me, fine, charge me. But until then, someone can explain, until they can explain how preventing pain is wrong, then I will continue to plead not guilty. We are good, hardworking people that were just trying to save our son's life. It's been a living hell since his injury, and this just adds to our ever-growing stress. They do have a GoFundMe page. Her name is Angela Brown. GoFundMe.com slash 8ROG50. They're, they're planning to move to Colorado to resume his treatment with the cannabis oil, but whether the mom will be able to go or not remains to be. Um, so anyway, I don't know what's going on, but yeah, that's a terrible story, and um, I do have some information that I found a while back, and I'm going to try to uh, find that, you know, because I don't have it right here with me, but um, it's actually a man that um, he gives people, might be free and or reduced cost cannabis oil if they've been diagnosed with cancer and they need help like that. So I'm going to try to find that information and give it out to people. 
does look for people's information. You know, he tries to, he, he spends like his days looking for people that need this help. And they have the lab and they, they make it a special way, you know, the, the best way, the cannabis oil, they, they make it. So it will help, you know, people as much as possible that have cancer. So have to help others. And I believe he lost his dad. And, you know, like in memorial to his dad, he does this to help others. Well, and he'll have to go to jail, I think. Yeah, so, you know, you have to make sure all the legal ramifications and everything, but I'm just saying. Well, why exactly did she tell the school anything? Well, she was naive, obviously. Oh, okay. She said she considers herself an open book, and she says the only thing I did wrong was open my mouth. When people ask me questions, I'm an open book. It got me in trouble. Uh-huh. I stupidly opened my mouth to the wrong people, and I got turned in. Obviously, she hadn't been Look, schooled. Look, the wrong that. people is anybody from the government, right? Ever, and you know stuff like that. Keep your private stuff private. You know this whole Fed book thing where, oh, hey, you know what? I went to the bathroom and uh, I just got out, and boy, it was nice and brown, and it was about four inches long, and it was just great. Nobody cares. Nobody wants to know about your private life. You know, but people yet they go on there and they, you know, here's what I had for dinner. Here's what I drank with my dinner. Who the hell cares? Keep your private stuff yeah, private. I see people that I know that, you know, used to live near me and, and it's like right behind me. It's like, that have grown up and become a teacher to little children in school and they're on there drinking like constantly and taking pictures of themselves drunk, you know, and pretty much bragging about it. And I'm amazed. Oh, but that's okay. That do, people do post, you know. But and, that's okay. It's okay yeah, for a, 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 a elementary school teacher to get on on the uh, Fed book like some grade. like some uh, you know barroom slut, you know, boozing it up in 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 uh, you know scant clothes. And that's just great. You know, that's great. Maybe the whole class will see it. Ooh, that won't that be fun? Yeah, I mean, I'm amazed because I know certain school districts, they frown upon that kind of thing, and you get fired for stuff like that, so. Yeah, but uh, I guess others don't. guess not. I mean, people look this up if you're looking for a job, you know, they Google your name and stuff, they try to find out, you know, all the stuff you post. They they look for this kind of thing, decide, you know, whether to even have give you an interview or not based on it a lot of the time nowadays, so. And then there's the facial recognition software and stuff like that. Well, you know what? Now that is a good segue (laughs) to this. Privacy and security researcher Sammy K. Barr has released a keylogger for Microsoft wireless keyboards cleverly hidden in what appears to be a rather large but functioning USB wall charger called Key Sweeper, the stealthy or Dunio-based device can sniff, decrypt, log, and report back all keystrokes, saving them both locally and online. This is no toy. KeySweeper includes a web-based tool for live keystroke monitoring, can send SMS alerts for trigger words, usernames, or URLs, in case you want to steal a PIN number or a password and even continues to work after it is unplugged, thanks to a rechargeable internal battery. That's an impressive list of features, especially given that Cambar 
told Venture Beat the whole process took a few days, including a few over Christmas break and this past weekend when he decided to properly document it. So, folks, you know, uh, <laughs> with these kind of devices available out there for for anybody, anybody, they got pictures of this, the whole nine yards to buy, and it looks it's a USB charger. You know, everybody's got USB things. You've got your smartphone. You've got your all your, all your other kind of things that charge up by USB. People buy these things. They have them. And, you know, if you, hey, look, here you go. Here's the, I got you a USB charger. And it's logging every one of your keystrokes. You know, and it's not like, oh, yeah, but, you know, uh, bucks. Uh, actually, no. Uh, let's see. He's got a price list here. Uh, it ranges. He has different ones that range from $10 to $80. So there you go. I guess the moral is don't be accepting free gifts that you got from others. Get your own USB flash drive. Well, yeah. And, hey, for you parents out there, I suggest you buy a box load of these and put them all around your children. Okay, because you see, I don't believe that they have the right to privacy in your house. You might believe that, and you might think I'm totally wrong, and, oh, my gosh, that's a violation of the... No, it really isn't. They're children, okay? They're children. You're supposed to be watching them. You're supposed to be keeping them from doing and saying things they're not supposed to be saying and hanging around with people you don't want them hanging around with. You know what? When they get to be 18 and they want to do that kind of stuff, show them the door and say, hey, you know what? There's the big wide world out there, and you know what? It's all there for you. You can do whatever you want out there. Good luck. Because today, are you kidding me? They go to the public sewer system, and, you know, the things that they learn there are just beyond obscene. Okay, they're beyond obscene because they're not just obscene. They go far beyond that. They're they're not truthful. They're lies. And you need to know. And they're not going to tell you. Kids have never told their parents. Gosh, I remember the ritual coming home from school every day. It was like, I don't know why why anybody even bothered, but walk in the door. It'd be like, hi, I'm home. Hi, what'd you learn today? Nothing. Off I go. You know, that was it. Every day, what'd you learn? Nothing. Was always the answer. Nothing. I never learned anything. So what would have happened if your parents had done these things when you were you know, back in the day? Well, I wouldn't have liked it. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't have liked it, but hey, maybe I wouldn't have known about it. And what would I do about it anyway? You know, hey, too bad. I didn't yeah, like it. You I mean, know what? I didn't like getting spanked either, but I got spanked all the, the same. The pedophiles are out there targeting kids all the time for one thing, and they do it online. You know, that's one of their, oh, their ways. Oh God! Well, you know what? If you, you know what? If you have, well, there ain't no pedophile gonna jump through a computer screen and grab your kid and drag him in. No, if but you when you're thought, monitoring you know for stuff, that's you, the kind of thing you're looking for. If you have that are looking for your kids. No, I'm looking for my kids to. Well, are you gonna go? You know selling dope on the street with your friends? Are you going to go rob a 7-Eleven? Are you going to go, uh, you know, do stuff like that? Are you going to go 
score some crack or things like that. You know, the thing is, if you haven't taught your children yeah, well, to stay the hell away from people like pedophiles. By, by over, you know, like 800,000 a year kids in the United States alone. Why are they disappearing? You know, where are they going? So, yeah, you should be watching everything and and making well, and, sure they're not talking to some strange person on the Internet, et cetera. You know what? The thing is, I am really, truly, I, I think this is overblown. I think you're falling into the media manipulation trap by saying, ooh, you can't talk to strangers on the Internet. What the hell, what's going to happen by talking to somebody on the Internet? Nothing. Uh, they but, pretend to be. No, 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 no. Who cares? Or whatever the case may be, or, you know, they pretend to, okay. you know, fall in love with you. So what? And then the next thing you know, you're meeting them somewhere. Ah, ah. Okay, now guess yeah. what? Guess what? That's not the Internet's problem anymore. All right, you're not gonna get hurt on the internet. So if, if you're gonna get hurt by being a dumbass, talking to strangers on the internet, and you could see those strangers seem to have bad motives in mind. What then, Frank? If what? you're watching, I mean, if you found out your kid was talking to some stranger or lots of them or whatever on the internet, and they were trying to set up some kind of meeting, what then? I well, mean, I'd have a talk. With, I'd have another same talk that hopefully I'd had a hundred times with my kid. That look, you don't go anywhere to meet anybody that you don't know. And if you do decide, you go in a group and you go uh, in a public place and all that good stuff. Man, you got to teach your kids. Don't ever let a stranger on the street right, but the get within is, arm's length of you. Most parents aren't doing that. You well, know? Okay. And my parents never so taught me what yours, as far as don't let anybody get within an arm's length. I never heard that. Whose so fault you told is me that? Parents, is that the Internet's fault? That's not the internet's not fault. That's the a internet. parent's fault. Exactly. I'm just saying, most parents aren't teaching their kids these things. It seems. I know, but nowadays. you're telling people, hey, hey, don't go, don't talk to nobody on the internet. They're strangers. And you know what? You're not going to get hurt by talking to people on the internet. Talking you're going to get kids. hurt if you get stupid and decide to go meet somebody yeah, or by and yourself. Yeah, that happens quite often to little kids. Well, then you know what? The parents aren't doing their job. Or they go to a shopping mall or wherever. Well, you know, and, and that's then they more likely. Abducted. They're just walking down. They're walking down to school. They're walking down the <laughs> well, street. Well, yeah. They got nothing to do with the Internet. They're just out there and somebody snatches them. I can't imagine. You know, I wouldn't let a child of mine do that. You know, I mean, I did. I walked to school as a kid. In elementary school, I walked to school and oh, walked home from school. But these days, even back then, it was dangerous. But nowadays, forget about it, you know. You know, the main thing is to teach, and they're not just your kids either, because I see some, you know, a, what what is considered adults. Uh, they probably may make more stupid choices than children do, you know, as far as who they're going to meet, where they're going to go with people they don't really know, and things like that. You know, and I'm talking about 18, 19-year-olds. They do some really yeah. dumb things. Well, anybody you meet anywhere, you could be at a grocery store, it could be at a bar, you know, it could be at a party, it could be wherever. You never know what that person is really like. But you know? there's they really be a simple things. Serial killer. And, and nothing, nothing guarantees anything. But I mean, there are simple things. For instance, you know, talking to a stranger on the street. You don't let them get within arm's length. That's not so far away. I mean, it's not like you're standing 50 feet away. Don't let them make you a drink either, you know, well, and always yeah, guard well, a drink. You know, that's <laughs> another reason not to go to bars. Yeah, but well, you know what? That happens often. You, you better do that even if you're 30, 40, 50 years old, 
okay? Better do that. If you go to a bar, no, the days of leaving your drink sitting on the bar and going to the bathroom and coming back yeah. and sucking it down Or are even over. just letting somebody make your drink that you, you know, that you don't know very well or something. Or sometimes even if you do, people are still doing it, so. There's no guarantee that somebody's not going to, you know, stupid with you. Uh, but there's things you can do, like, sure. you know, I mean, just, you know, you don't let strangers get within arm length. If they move towards you, take a step backwards. You don't have to stand 50 feet away with a blowhorn and, and talk to them. But arm's length is not that far away. Hey, I don't want anybody standing within arm's length of me. You know, give me my space. You know, I, stay out of my space, you know. I mean, arm's length is not that uh, unreasonable. And it's a lot safer because if they can't put their hands on you, you know, chances are you're going to be able to get away before, you know, something really bad happens. But, you know, parents have to teach kids because kids can't be expected to just wake up one morning and know all this. Kids lie, too, you know, when they're growing up and well, teenagers. Well, that's true. And, and that, they'll tell their parents they're going to be at such and such a place with their friend or whatever, and they're not really doing well, those and, things. And that they? right there, that right there is the reason for to key log your kids, to listen in on their phone calls, to check their emails, to do whatever you got to do, to you know, because if they're lying to you, you've got to put an end to that. Because that's not just endangering them. That's creating a really that you know what that's that's creating a bad person there. That's creating a liar because they're going to get into the habit that they get what they want by lying, and they're going to carry that all the way through their life. And they're going to be the pathetic liar, which is a bad person. A liar is not a good person. Well, then if you don't know where they really are, yeah, well, this they is could assuming, be in grave danger. This is assuming they live through it all, okay, yeah. and they grow up to be a liar, all right? That's not a good person. You want your kid to grow up to be a liar because they're going to grow up to be a liar if they figure out somewhere along the way that, gee, I get what I want when I lie. Then there's the, you know teach your kids they can always come to you kind of thing because if they can't they're going to lie pretty much well and that's why you know what you ought to be able to be smarter than a child okay so if you you know you even suspect they're lying uh put the kibosh on that and say okay well i'm going to find out if you're lying and if you think i'm invading your privacy guess what you don't have any privacy as long as you live in this house you know that's that's <laughs> my parents were you know, they didn't have to deal with the internet and all this stuff, but they were pretty, pretty firm about when they put the line down where it was. Anyway, we're gonna take a break. We'll be back in a bit. Oh, and by the way, good luck. Yes.
Few things in this world are more important than clean, pure water. Understanding this, ABR makes four tabletop water distillers available to you for purchase. First, we have the five and a half hour per gallon with polycarbonate collection jug for $139. The second is a five and a half hour per gallon with glass collection jug for $189. The third is a three and a half hour per gallon with polycarbonate collection jug for $189. And our premier tabletop distiller is a three and a half hour per gallon with glass collection jug for $250. All our distillers have a stainless steel boiling pot, dome, and cooling tubes. And the premier version also has a splash flap to protect against contamination of the cooling tubes. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com for more information and protect your water supply. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com. And then to the superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC sees in use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free to air satellite system from ABR. The ABR system includes a receiver, an LMB, and a 75 centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $149.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541 225 4659. That's 541 225 4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click the satellite system.
All right, we're back. This is the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Steffen. You're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. It's still January 14, 2015, and it's Wednesday. So it's about 8.45 out here right now on the Pacific Time Coast. So if that's all true where you're at, we're live. You can call in. You can go to the website. You can go to the chat room and participate. We've got Melissa Roxanne on, and uh, as far as Stump the Room goes, the room got the second one, which after a little bit there, it kind of got – I was just typing in this is an easy one because of a of a little transition that's kind of trademarked to this band. And then before I even got a type, they got it. It's the Who. Okay, that's who the second song was. Now nobody nobody even guessed on the first one, other than you know horror movie uh, <laughs> horror movie uh, soundtrack. But actually, it's not that obscure of a band. King Crimson. Like it's some no-name band from you know, nobody would ever know the name of. It's King Crimson was a quite yeah, a big like band. Nails on a chalkboard. Thing is, it's a tie. So, good guessing on the second one. Thank you. Obviously, instrumental songs are harder to guess and almost, almost, almost impossible to cheat at. I didn't cheat. I got the one one this afternoon, too, and I didn't cheat. Uh, Yeah, but, you know, there's a difference between getting it right and guessing it right, you know, because you throw mud on the wall, throw enough mud. I guess three bands on third one is Little Feet, and I got it right. Throw enough mud, some will hit the wall. Yeah, but it's not like I guess 100 bands. Well, you'd have and kept I got this one around the first guess. You kept going. But anyway. Yeah, you did. This one was, but then again, you got to, you know, I know you heard that and said, ha I know who this is. You know who else it kind of sounded like? That band that does No Sugar Tonight. Sounded a bit like that. That's who I thought at first, but I didn't guess them. Then I guessed the who. I got it. Well, uh, you know, how many, okay, let me ask you, how many Alzheimer's patients, you know, sufferers, afflicted, how many do you think there are in America? I was kind of surprised when I saw this because I had no idea, you know, I mean, I knew about Alzheimer's, I know what it is, I know people get it, but I had no idea. And, and I, you know, I know diabetes is like really big big time. The mud I don't know, her. but a lot of them, I think, have mad cow, you know, Jakob Kutzfeldt's disorder, and they're being misdiagnosed. Yeah, that, 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 that might be, but there's five and a half million. There's five and a half million. And you know what that means? There's five and a half million people in this country that can't remember who they are. That's the ones that have been diagnosed, right? Right. Okay, so there's even more that haven't been. Five and a half million people running around who don't remember who they are, who their family is, where they live, the simplest things. That's a lot of 
people to be. It actually happens in younger and younger people, too. That's a lot of people to be walking around not knowing these things. To my mom's best friend that she went to boarding school with, that happened to her, and she didn't know her own family. That's Alzheimer's, you know, I mean. Well, yeah, there's different degrees of it, too. Yeah, it gets worse and worse and worse. Doesn't just stop at one place and go. Okay, no. you know, you lost yesterday's memories. That's it. It just keeps getting worse. Yeah, you might you might forget, be forgetful, you know, in the beginning, and forget where you put something, which everybody does, but it just gets worse. And then you start stop forgetting, start forgetting, like you said, you know, at the end, probably forget who your own family is, even. Well, I'm looking at an article here, and they're saying uh, that. Not only the people that have Alzheimer's, that the caregivers for them are having now real problems. Uh, like here, it's and this one's saying, well, look, you know, here's some things to look out for for caregivers. Like watch for signs of depression. Depression is very common in caregivers. You know, and it, obviously depression leads to other health problems. And they say don't isolate or withdraw from friends or family members when it gets tough. Okay. Uh, people fall down a lot, I guess, when they have dementia. Stress. And apparently, caregivers for Alzheimer's patients tend to neglect their own health. Eat right. So. That was my cat, Priscilla. Brother, pronounce it. Get her own mic. So, uh, if uh, you're having trouble filling out your IRS forms because of all the Obama stuff, don't call the IRS for help. <laughs> because they're saying, uh, sorry. Got a question for the IRS? Good luck reaching someone by phone. The tax agency says only half of the 100 million people expected to call this year will be able to actually reach somebody. There's never any help to anybody. Callers who do get through may have to wait on hold for 30 minutes or more. Talk to someone who will only answer the simplest question. Taxpayers who need help are not getting it. The tax compliance is likely to suffer over the longer term if these problems are not quickly and decisively addressed. Yeah. You know, hey, if you're not even going to answer my questions and they don't answer questions, hmm. you know, then I'm not – I don't know how to comply. And if you won't tell me, then I don't have to because you sent me a notice saying, hey, uh, we want you to do this. Well, i got to understand what you want me to do, and if you won't explain it, then screw you. They don't even understand their own stupid rules, and they haven't read them all. There's no way they could have. Well, the people that say they put their name on it as though they wrote them didn't even read them. You know. I know. Well, the congressmen, et cetera, supposedly come up with all these laws. They don't. They don't right, write it. They thing. don't. It gets put on their desk with a bag of money. They're not and, smart uh, enough you know, to come up with all that. Thrown on their desk with a bag of money and probably uh, come straight from you know, Satan himself. With a bag of money. Yeah. That's the thing, and I and I use the bag of money as an analogy. I don't think they really put. 
they give them stock options and all kinds of, uh, oh, you can be on the board of our directors. They buy them off one way or another, get around bribery and call it whatever they call it. Got anything else? Yeah, any other police open fire on one of their own undercover narc cops. Yay. During a $60 drug bust, apparently Finally, good shot to. one of them maybe a few times, and the other one got the shrapnel, and one was female, one was male. Wait a minute, shrapnel? Yeah, that's what it said. What they, were they using hand I believe it said shrapnel. Uh, I'll have to look, but anyway. Well, shrapnel comes from things blowing well, up, not bullets. What's the heck? I don't know. <laughs> They're in this black Lexus outside McDonald's, I think. Uh, they went to an Econo Lodge. This happened in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and they've got this terrible record there. The cops do have shooting people, like, all the time. Yeah. They were charged with murdering that homeless man, the two um, Albuquerque Police Department officers who was trying to camp without a permit in the foothills. So this latest one uh, took place Friday, January 9th this year at 11.40 a.m., and they were in the process of staging a $60 drug transaction with two male suspects driving a, they were driving a black Lexus and they picked up the two suspects near a park off East Central and Holly Garcia, Detective Holly Garcia had previously arranged to set up suspect Damian Bailey with some shards, which is slang for meth and with Mr. Bailey uh, in the front seat an officer says here Detective Jacob Grant and suspect Edmund Vester in the back seat. She drove to a nearby Econo Lodge where the deal was completed. Mr. Vester was allegedly the one who entered the motel room and returned to the car with the drugs. Unbeknownst to the suspects, the vehicle was being followed by additional police officers from the Special Investigations Division driving multiple unmarked trucks. And the team was waiting for Miss Garcia to give them a secret signal to move in. So Garcia drove the car to a nearby McDonald's restaurant parking lot where she was given a quantity of a glass shard-like substance which she presumed to be meth, according to the complaint. During that time, a predetermined arrest signal was administered and related to assisting detectives. Both individuals were taken into custody at the scene and transported to the Foothills substation before being subsequently booked into the Metropolitan Detention Center without injury or incident. Lies. They don't say a thing about the the shooting of their own. The document curiously omits the most significant part of the event, the part where the Special Investigations Division swooped in and shot one of the undercover detectives. Police are remaining secretive about the exact circumstances that led to the gunfire. The criminal complaint against Vester and Bailey is vague and makes no mention of the suspects possessing a weapon at the scene. However, several witnesses saw the events unfold and said that masked men resembling robbers swarmed the scene and later confiscated eyewitness video. Somebody says here, uh, quote, we just saw unmarked vehicles pull up, these ran trucks or whatever, and surrounded this vehicle so it couldn't back up and escape. Um, that was said by Wallace Anderson, who saw most of the incident unfold and told the news there, News 13, and then at that point the shots happened and the guy was dragged to the pavement and handcuffed. That was a quote. Destiny Jackson had a different vantage point from her motel room at the Econo Lodge. She said, quote, I heard yelling and looked out the window and just seen a bunch of guys with masks on. I thought maybe McDonald's was getting robbed or something. I didn't know what was going on. 
end quote. Her brother, Tyler Jackson, captured a video recording of the drug bus going haywire with his tablet, but he said the police took the recording. So KRQE News identified the shooter as Albuquerque Police Department, uh, one of their own. Uh, let's see here. The name is Lieutenant Greg Blanche. He was reportedly wearing plain clothes at the time of the confrontation. Reports indicate that Detective Jacob Grant was shot three times in the torso. And you know, now, the thing is, there's a bigger problem here. For one, they're wasting time busting somebody on a $60 drug deal. Yeah, and they're shooting up people outside McDonald's and, and at the Econo Lodge. And the police are no longer witnessing a crime and arresting people for it. They are now participants in the crime. They are entrapping people into participating in a crime yeah. with them right. and then arresting them for it. Right. You know, this, this is, folks, this is the kind of crap that I'm glad, I wish they all got shot for this. You know, who authorizes to go in full battle gear and all this crap for $60 drug deal? Yeah, low-level drug use. Um, that, that cop remains in critical condition, got shot three times in the torso. He's a 10-year veteran of Albuquerque Police Department, and Detective Garcia, the female, was run, wounded by shrapnel, it says. And they said that the things went south for them when they abruptly, the suspects abruptly changed the location of the deal, and that Detective Grant had to reveal himself as an officer while in the car with the suspects. But they haven't officially stated what caused it to happen. No, they're shooting people up outside. They yeah, could have the hit a number didn't of people. Shoot the cops. And the people. other cops shot the cops. I know. I'm just saying that the the bullets could have hit other innocent people too. You know, I mean, they're going out doing this. Your kid could be at McDonald's and get shot by these people. Yeah, so. over a sixty dollar drug deal. Right. Hey, well, uh, there's one last thing here. If you wonder why the media in the United States is not coming down on the American people's side about illegal aliens. Here's a little hint. Mexican billionaire Carlos Slim has now become the largest shareholder in the New York Times. Ah, that's right. So now, and, and you know, if you look at a picture of this guy, Carlos Slim, you will see what Mexican racism really is. This guy, you wouldn't be able to tell he's a Mexican. He's a white guy. He's a white Mexican. In Mexico, if you're an Indian Mexican, American Indian as we would call them, Native American Mexicans, you're trash. You're the ones they want to throw into the United States. Uh, you know, so this is why. You've got Mexican nationals owning Newspapers like the New York Times. Anyway, that's it. We're out of time. I suppose a victim of mind control, if you go to YouTube and see the video like I have years ago, uh, who disappeared since this, came out and uh, said that she saw a bunch of these big wigs, like he was one of them, eating people. And uh, then the cops got her and stuffed her in a van. She's disappeared. Nobody knows. She's probably dead. Hmm. Anyway, we are out of time. Thanks for being on, Melissa. Thank you. Anyway, I have
American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19, 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. things in this world are more important than clean, pure water. Understanding this, ABR makes four tabletop water distillers available to you for purchase. First, we have the five and a half hour per gallon with polycarbonate collection jug for $139. The second is a five and a half hour per gallon with glass collection jug for $189. The third is a three and a half hour per gallon with polycarbonate collection jug for $189. And our premier tabletop distiller is a three and a half hour per gallon with glass collection jug for $250. All our distillers have a stainless steel boiling pot, dome, and cooling tubes. And the premier version also has a splash flap to protect against contamination of the cooling tubes. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com for more information and protect your water supply. Food prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Time is money and knowledge is power. That's why you need the Basic Research Library CD from the American Voice Now. This CD contains the Federalist Papers, which are the definitive writings illustrating the intent of the Constitution, and the Anti-Federalist Papers, which read like a crystal ball to everything gone wrong concerning the present-day Constitution. 
This CD also contained Bovier's Law Dictionary and the Uniform Commercial Code, plus the inaugural speeches of the U.S. Presidents, the U.N. Charter, NAFTA, Hitler's Mein Kampf, the full Communist Manifesto, the Patriot Act 1 and 2, the model anti-bioterrorism law, the Homeland Security Bill, the FBI's Project Medigo, and too much more to mention here. The CD contains over a thousand files. To order your CD, go to www.theamericanvoice.com or call us at 541-826-9050. That's 541-826-9050 for ordering information. society, we don't. When they can walk in, take you as a child, turn you into a killer, and then use you, abuse you, and when you're when they're done, throw you away. It shouldn't happen. So I sit there and I start taking these puzzle pieces. This fits. This fits. This don't fit. And I'm going like this to picture. And I sit back. The lady walks up to the front. The guy walks up behind me. She looks at him and smiles, says, we've got one, and that's when it started. That is where they were weeding out who's good at this, who's good at that, who's going to be a soldier, who's going to be a psychic spy. Everybody knows that Hitler was looking for the ultimate soldier, that super soldier, ultimate warrior. Hitler was also heavily into esoteric arts with mind control. And they, at that time, they started combining the two. Mind control, super soldier, ultimate warrior. They started putting it all together into one project, and that's where they got me. My kicks in my right leg were 120 miles an hour. My punching power was well over 18 to 1950 foot pounds. That'll bust concrete blocks. And I put three rounds through the heart of a very high intelligence official. This guy grabs me by the throat. And I just snapped sideways, threw my hands, palm down, just threw them down, and screamed inside my mind. The guy goes up and back. I never touched him. I look over, and there's George Jr. sitting at the bar with Secret Service bodyguards, drunk as a skunk, with the Secret Service trying to get him to calm down. Now, that's when I snapped awake. I don't remember driving there. Let's back up and find out exactly how you got into this program. They wanted people who were half Native American and half Celtic, whether uh-huh. it be Scottish, Irish, didn't matter, as long as Celtic. The reason for that is that the Native Americans and the Celtics are two of the races on the earth that are more superposed to paranormal abilities or psi abilities. Okay, and as a matter of fact, both of these cultures practice paranormal abilities. 
So it, it's kind of genetic memory. It, it's in your, our genetic memory, okay? And I, I thought that's basically what it was until about two years ago when I found out that my father was a CIA agent. Uh, my father's been dead now for almost 15 years. I never had a clue. But with that new information, it made a lot of smaller tidbits of information and a lot of things that happened in the past, now it all fits. Okay. Basically what happened with me is in 1966. I was six years old. And both my parents loaded me up in a truck took me to town. And I said, yeah, it's dark, it's cold, snowing. I'm just, I'll never forget today, okay, because it stands out. Why are we going to a hardware store this late in the afternoon? So we go into the store, and at this time my mom and dad are like not fighting, but they're not getting along. And I've been in the store several times with my grandfather. And we go into the back. I've never been to the back. And there's a door there that if you didn't know it was there, you'd walk right by it. So we go in, and here's six, seven other kids about my age. And they're all sitting at these tables, like these kindergarten tables, down, sitting down low with the small chairs. And they all have the same thing. They look like puzzle pieces. Well, this lady comes in that did not fit, okay? She's tall. She's elegant. Uh, fur coat. Come on. This is Eastern Kentucky, okay? <laughs> Don't happen, all right? And she played a very prominent role from there on because I have, she's in several of my memories. And she sets me down to play. She says, I want you to give me a stack of blocks, okay? And what they are is each, they're puzzle pieces. It says, make me a picture, and walks off. So I look around for my mom, and she's with a guy there who's in a suit who, again, does not, shouldn't be there, okay? And they have a clipboard, and she's signing some papers. At six years old, i puzzled, but you don't think much of it. So I sit there, and I start taking these puzzle pieces. This fits, this fits, this don't fit. And I'm going like this to picture, and I sit back. The lady walks up to the front. The guy walks up behind me. She looks at him and smiles, says, we've got one. And that's when it started. Uh, I was given something to drink. I remember feeling sleepy. And that's it. I, so are, are you saying, did you go home with your parents no, that night? I, no, I did not. I see. I was taken uh, directly. This is what I found out later because once I went to sleep, Whatever was in the drink, the Kool-Aid or soda, whatever they gave me, put me out. My next memory was at nine and a half years old. So you, you have a blank in your memory right mm -hmm. now. Yeah. Uh -huh. Now, I have some memories have, have came back, and I have bits and pieces of memories of what happened during all that. Some very vivid. Some I have documentation. Some are just memories that are there, okay? Um, and then from so there. At nine years old, why do you remember nine years old? What happened then? Because I had to take uh, a stint in a hospital, a hospital here, University of Kentucky. Um, they did some type of procedures that no one's ever really been able 
to explain to them. Even as an adult, I tried to get the records, and no one will release those records to me. And from there, I had a couple of years as a kid where everything seemed okay, a lot of paranormal activity going on and all that. Then at 14, I'm gone again. Gone to the hospital? No, gone. Memories, gone. Okay, so so looking back, though, you basically feel that you were trained as a soldier during that time? Yes. Could you describe some of the training to us? The easiest way to do that is to back up for one second. Sure. Imagine Project Talent, the people in Project Talent, being sent to school. Okay. When we're in elementary school, we're all taught the same thing. Okay. That's where the martial arts training what started. I have vivid memories of 15, 20 of us in a group with adults, and they trained us as adults. There was no kid gloves, okay? Six, seven years old, eight years old, you got your butt kicked off. I mean, they beat us tremendously, but we learned, okay? Once you, and the paranormal training started as well, Everybody that, that is where they were weeding out who's good at this, who's good at that. Who's going to be a soldier? Who's going to be a psychic spy? You you have at this time certain um, like a black belt in karate mm-hmm. or I even after I continued on, I took classes my uh, on my own. Uh, started a couple of studios. Uh, I hold a fifth degree black now, legitimately a fifth degree uh-huh. black in in the real world, right. so to speak. Right. Um, now. You also said something in an interview that I read that said something about having um, remembered when you started teaching karate, Mm -hmm. this is how you triggered some earlier memories of all this. Right. There was one incident in particular. Uh, I had a friend of mine who was an ex-Green Beret, and he wasn't a regular. He would come in and work out with me when he was home on leave or those kind of things. And we're sparring one night, and he's a big, rough, raw-boned guy, okay? You know, he's going to want to bar and wipe half of it out and everybody sweat. So we're sparring. And I did a technique that when he came up off the floor, he's angry, bum-fuzzled. Yeah, where did you learn that? And then it hit me. I don't have a clue. Where did I learn that? And he said, that came straight off the farm. I'm only 19 years old. I said, farm? What, you know, what are you talking about? Cow, cattle farm? Pig farm? What you, I, I didn't have a clue. And he said, the CIA training facility, the farm. And little things started clicking. Okay? And when I really started to get memories back was about eight, nine years ago when I had an automobile accident. And it ruptured three discs in my neck. And when they finally gave me the MRI, the electromagnetic resonance didn't mesh with the cranial implant. That you had gotten? Somewhere, somehow, I have a cranial implant. And I say this because I have it on film. And when they put me in the MRI machine, when they turned it on, when it started to spin, okay? Right. Imagine... Tremendous pain. Mm-hmm. Also, imagine you're in there and you see a thousand TV screens. 
and they come at you at once. On each one of those TV screens is a picture. Each picture is a memory, and it's just coming, 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 coming. That's amazing. That's how I started to get total memory again. And now, I don't know, was this also correct? You were screaming and I the engine, yes. the, the, the MRI blew up? Or the MRI called, the machine itself caught on fire. That was, that's what brought, actually brought me out of it. Because I'm there and nothing but my underwear and a gown, holding my head, screaming bloody murder. And I, I noticed smoke, <laughs> okay? And the techs come out, nurses come out, and they grab me, and they want to do all this. They get me out of there. They start to fire extinguishers and, and all that. Wow. Now, now, do, do you have the cranial implant? To it's the still state? there. It's, still it's there. just, from what I understand, it's not working. Oh. And what makes you think it's not working? Because I haven't been used anymore. I haven't been had the blackout spell and be gone for three or four days or a week oh, with wow. no memory. Okay. They stopped. But this one is dead center, dead center in the brain. It looks like a grain of rice, and it's like it's just dead center in the brain. It's, so it's right that there. small. It's that small. Wow. And I've had it checked uh, through uh, independent sources, and they look at it and. You've got a problem. It's got to be removed. Man, you're going to die. I said, no, it's fine. Don't worry. I don't tell them what it is. Okay? I just want their opinion. I want to hear what they have to say. I don't say anything unless I have the proof or I have someone else who's willing to sign a deposition saying that they were there, they saw what they know. If I don't have proof, I'll say this is what I think. Okay. So back when you're a child and you go to the the hospital, you said, Mm-hmm. Did you have something going on with your body that they changed at that time? Do you know what happened? I remember going through a procedure, okay, and I remember waking up. And the the machine, so this would have been 1969, okay, and I remember the machine was about the size of this table, canvas wrapped, and they were bringing it down on top of me, and it would get hot. And I wasn't supposed to wake up. I was supposed to be drugged completely while I woke up in the middle of it. And I remember being dozens of tubes laying to each side of me where they had been plugged in one at a time. What happened? I don't know. Now, did you have uncommon strengths or were you, you know, did you notice changes, drastic changes in your outlook towards reality. I, I mean, at 14, this is probably hard to tell, but, you know, as time went on, do you think that you developed at a different rate than other children mm-hmm. yep. because of maybe some of this? I huh? think so. Um, I've always been stronger, faster, more endurance than anybody around. And that is also the same with all of us that came out of these, these projects. Mm-hmm. That's part of the super soldier structure. Uh, they want the super soldier to be just that super, beyond normal, faster, stronger, more endurance, uh, pain tolerance, et cetera, et cetera, on and on and on. That's what they want. So can you tell us what um, what abilities you have? But if, if the, yeah. the peak of your performance, if you call it, want to call it that, what do you think you were capable of? Physical ones, yeah, I, I, I've kept. The paranormal abilities, I have kept some. The main paranormal abilities come out when the alternate personality comes out. That's one of the things that they did to us. They gave us alternate personalities. So we were trained in the alternate personality. 
Um, I have witnesses that have saw me bust heavy bags with one punch. You're not supposed to be able to do that. I was measured uh, for punching power, speed, and everything at um, Burlington West Constant at a facility up there. It's no longer there. That uh, did all the testing for the the pro sports, for uh, the football teams and all that. My punching power, at this time, my weight was 175 pounds. And when are we talking? How many years ago or what year, if you generally speaking? Let's see. 1984. Uh In the spring of 1984. Okay. And the testing came out as unreal. My punching power was heavier, stronger than that of a super heavyweight boxer. My kicking power and speed was even more than that. My kicks in my right leg were 120 miles an hour. My punching power was well over 18 to 1950 foot pounds. That'll bust concrete blocks. Okay. Now, in terms of your psychic ability, what were what were those abilities? My primary psychic abilities and the ones that I have kept in this personality is being able to get in someone's mind, uh, being able to far see what's events in real time. Uh, and when I mean getting in someone's mind, I don't mean reading their mind, reading their thoughts, hear their thoughts. It's more of what some people that I work with now we call picking. We see pictures of their thoughts. Like you may be thirsty, thinking about a soda, I'll look at you, I'll see a Pepsi can. Okay? That's what happens. And these type of abilities to a fighter, a soldier, or an assassin, think of the edge that gives that person. So are you? do you have absolute real recall of times when you're in the other personality now? I have witnesses to that, yeah. See, what happens is... <clears throat> I'm not supposed to remember anything right now, okay? I imagine. The people who start to remember are usually late 50s, early 60s, okay? Much too old to really do anything. I'm not saying 60s old, but in this society, by the time you're 60, 62, anywhere in there, people write you off. So how old are you now? Because I I can't tell. 46. Uh Uh-huh. Everybody says you don't look 46. That's one of the other traits. That we have. Mm-hmm. None Longe- of us look our age. Longevity. Yeah. Okay. Um, most of the people who start when they start getting their memories back, when they get their memories back, is when the personalities begin to to mesh. They're no longer personality A, personality B anymore. They start going together. So when all the, these other memories start coming in, meshing with the other memories, they go nuts. Most people. So most people, most of these people committed suicide. Okay. Okay. And not the ones who didn't wind up in asylums. Is it possible, Duncan, that they could also have been programmed to commit suicide? Yes. Like yes. kind of self-destruct when they're no longer useful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. So you kind of have beat the system in a certain sense. Mm-hmm. And you must have had struggles. So what's keeping you going and what is it that you think allowed you to to sort of maintain. After the car accident, we moved from this area. We moved upstate New Jersey. I was never supposed to lift anything over five pounds again. 
I was never supposed to hold my, be able to hold my arms above my head. That's how serious the neck injury was. Two o'clock in the morning, I'm sitting in my apartment in New Jersey, and this little voice comes in. What the is your problem? What's wrong with you? You wimp, you're going to give up? You've got to fight her all your life. Get up and fight. I started doing push-ups at night. A year later, I'm fine. So you, you basically brought yourself back from your injuries. The injury's still there. I can go to a neurologist right now, let them do an X-ray, and they'll look at me and say, you need to be in surgery today. Hmm. Okay? Huh. But I refuse to go. Um, the pain is still there. I live with pain 24-7. And, again, if I hadn't, this hadn't been done to me as a kid, yeah, I'm probably taking pain pills on a regular basis. But you're not. I take them. So um, now I'm curious because you have this tattoo on your arm. It looks actually kind of beautiful. Um, Is this something you got in Vietnam? No. Uh, this was supposed to be one of a kind. <clears throat> it's my design. Really? This was something that came to me in a, in a dream, actually. Wow. And I designed it. Is that, is that a dragon? That's, that's a dragon. Uh-huh. And I had uh, a tattoo artist do it for me, and it stayed one of a kind for a couple of years, and then all of a sudden I started seeing <laughs> seeing it out, and she does have her work on a website. Uh-huh. And then I'm walking in the Walmart across the street of all places about six months ago, and there's a paperback novel, Which and that's on the front cover of the paperback novel, identical. And you designed it. And I designed this. Wow, cool. It's very nice. Um, so what happened in Vietnam? Because you have a really an amazing story about that. I was in North Vietnam twice that I know of. Okay. okay. Some of these areas are still murky because, I, like I said, I keep finding out more things every day. Okay. Once when we were, I was 12 years old, okay, I know people say, I got 1972. You were in Vietnam in 1972. Actually, we weren't in Vietnam. We were in Cambodia. Okay. We weren't supposed to be in Cambodia. <laughs> a Navy SEAL team and a Marine Corps recon team were pinned down by the Cambodian May Rouge. They called in for reinforcements, somebody to get them out. And I'm just telling you exactly what a Marine Corps recon captain and a Navy SEAL captain told me. I have my own memories of it, but I saw it from my point of view. I'm going to tell you what, from their point of view. A black helicopter, a Huey, lands. Twelve kids come off the chopper. Yeah, there still are a couple of things. Take your time. we got all the time in the world, I and I can understand. Um... Long story short, we came out, came off the chopper, formed a semicircle, and we all held hands. There was. Were they all boys? No. Were they all around the same age? Yeah, I was the oldest. Okay, so all around the age of twelve. Anywhere between 9 and 12. I was team leader. Okay. 
Um, we held hands, raised our arms, and killed them all. Who did you kill? Every May Road soldier within 20 miles. How did, How is it that your powers were able to target the other side and not... I wasn't the, um, I wasn't the, I don't think of the phrase, I was like the lead battery, but I wasn't the one who, who did the target. Aimed. So you didn't, you didn't actually aim your power. You guys were the power. Someone else did the aim. Was it the kids that did the aiming or someone else? Some, one of the other kids. Oh, yeah. Okay. Now, did you know the other kids? Mm-hmm. At the time you knew the kids? I know one right now. Do you? Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, is this person willing to come forward or not? Not this one, no. Are they even aware that they're one of them? Mm-hmm. Are they? Wow. Okay. Well, I mean, we really appreciate that you're sharing this with us because this is obviously a, a huge thing, and people never like to talk about the sort of negative side of yeah. of the power of the powers of the mind. But obviously, this is is one of the applications, and there's no reason to hide it. Um, it's not that. Um, it's funny. Uh, I've done a lot of things that were not of my doing, not of my making. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them bring out an emotional response. Some don't. Some are kind of like, so what? And some I have no control. Mm-hmm. And I go through this little emotional, and then I'm okay, and then I'm fine with it. Sure. You know, it's like I can't cry on command. Believe me, I've tried. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but uh, the way it was explained to me, it makes perfect sense. Twelve kids, imagine twelve batteries. Connect. You have one battery, you might get a. Oh, okay, nothing. Add two, you get an, you get a jolt. Add three, you get a burn. Add twelve, mm-hmm. you get electrocuted. Mm-hmm. That's basically what we did. The twelve of us linked, joined up through everything, kind of to see my circle start from the center, because I was in the center, like this, out. Mm-hmm. And that's why. And this is something you guys were obviously trained to do. Right. Do you have a, re- have a memory at all? Has anything come back of your trainers? Remember the lady in the hardware store? Yeah, she figured very prominently when I was young. Uh, the next memory I have of her is in a lab coat. And I'm in this house. It's been described to me as the mansion. And I have my couple of ideas where this place is or was, but I have no, I have no proof. Okay. Mm-hmm. There is a. I'm in a hallway, and there's green and white tile. These huge, these twelve by twelve tiles is on the floor, and. I'm doing something that all of us that come out of this has the same trait. We don't, like, come down on one knee or anything like that. We squat. Makes no sense in some ways, but in some ways to us it does. We squat on the balls of our feet with the arms out loose, almost like an animal. Okay? Okay. About 10 feet away I have a small water bucket. And what I'm doing is raising the bucket 
trying to turn it over, set it down gently. Raising it with your mind or with Correct. your hand? Correct, just with my mind. And what I'm doing is I'm raising it, turning it about halfway, and it's just dropping. I'm not getting it, okay? And I look around, and this lady's behind me with her footboard, you know, taking notes. And I tried to get a response. You know, I looked at her trying to be nice. I said, I've almost got it, I've almost got it. And she basically just looks down, snarls, and walks off. You know, there was nothing nice about any of this. Wow. So, okay, Do you you said you were in Vietnam twice, to, mm-hmm. that you remembered. What was the uh, second time? The second time, all I remember is being shot down. We uh, were taking off in a uh, Blackhawk. No, I'm sorry, not a Blackhawk. That was uh, that's another incident uh, in a Huey. And we got about 10 feet off the ground and took some anti-aircraft fire, and we, we went down. And this Navy SEAL captain, who we've talked about, is the one that pulled me out of the chopper. Oh. So this, and this is the guy, the witness that mm-hmm. you say is also witness to the Vietnam incident that you told us right. with the kids. Correct. Um, and he was in charge of the, where was he at the time? The easiest way to tell you about this guy, um, uh, his whole family was CIA. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, he was one of the most decorated and had one of the best kill records in Vietnam. His uh, abilities as a sniper were unparalleled, mm-hmm. and at the same time, he was also a SEAL boat captain because he pulled, I think, fi- uh, five or seven tours in Vietnam. So, but he wasn't messed with the way you were. I'm assuming he. Has, does have some memory gaps, mm. yes, okay. but not to the extent that I have or some of the other. And how did you guys hook up? When I started getting my memories back, I started looking for him. Because you knew who he was? I mean, you mm-hmm. remember, now you remembered from the age of 12 who he was? Yeah. I remembered his face, and I knew being what he was, he's going to only be in certain circles. So I started frequenting those circles. And I finally found him, and we sat down at dinner at a casino and started trading stories, and that's history. Wow. That's great. Is he willing to come forward on record? He is, yes. Would you introduce him? Yes. Thank you. Absolutely. Okay, so can you tell us a little bit more? I mean, you were... I'm going to imagine you were a remote viewer. Am I right? Not one of the best, but yeah. Okay. Um, so you were physically trained. You were mentally very astute. What was your title? Were you, in other words, you said some were psychic spies, some were warriors? Correct. Um, my problem, and I've been told this by some very strong size, is my problem is that I fight the psychic abilities. I don't just let them flow. I fight them. For whatever reason, I, I block on myself. Mm-hmm. I went, as I graduated through Project Talent, you know, I said it was a school, moving on. I, what, what age was this, would you say? This would have been uh, mid to late teens. Okay. I was ter- turned into a soldier, a soldier with psi abilities. 
Like I said, I wasn't one of those that was put into the pitch black room and could tell you what a politician 4,000 miles away was having for breakfast. Okay, I wasn't one of those. Okay. I know some people who were. Sure. But I wasn't. Now, do you, did you know um, Joseph McMonagall in that? That name does ring a bell. Uh-huh. I've been asked that before. I just can't say for sure. Okay. Um, so where were you based, do you think? I mean, you weren't based in Kentucky. No. No. Um, I have memories of being in several different training facilities. Uh, I do know I spent three years on St. Thomas, on the island of St. Thomas in the Virgin Islands. And that was verified to me about three years ago. I'm going around seeing people, and they're looking at me saying, I haven't seen you since you were a kid. I guess what I'm trying to get at is, you know, when you, once you were trained, you were sort of ready to go. So where did they use you? Do you have any idea? You know, were I you did. in the war? Um, After NOM, um, I, I do have some vivid memories of a couple of assassinations that were carried out. Uh, I have memories of being on military bases. And I had it verified that I was at Norfolk Station, Norfolk, Virginia, uh, by a radar man who was stationed there when I was with a a team. And he contacted me because he saw my picture. Mm -hmm. And so he told me, he was, what happened during this time is that he told me things as fact that happened that I thought were just dreams slash memories. And he's telling me this without me telling him anything. Did you, were you an assassin? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was. And I don't know, how did you assassinate people, and, and what kind of people would you be assassinating? Do you have any idea? I mean, were they people in wartime? Were they no. Americans? Some, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, one that I remember, and I think I remember so vividly, is because it was the last one, the last time I ever did anything for the government was in uh, D.C., and I put three rounds through the heart of a very high intelligence official. Now, do you have conscious memory of this? Of this one, I do, yes. Okay. I never knew the name. I was given a a photo, a target, habits, good job. Mm -hmm. That's it. And do do you remember any operations taking place in other countries? France. In France. Mm-hmm. What the vivid memory is that I have, and I also was shown a photograph of me sitting at a little cafe from the Eiffel Tower. Okay, I have no knowledge at that time of being in France, but the guy shows me the pictures of eight by ten, black and white, and there I am drinking something out of a cup of steam, and there's the Eiffel Tower in the background. And I remember doing a job, but I don't remember what it was about. Uh, A decoy was sent in, and what the lady was to do was to get the guy to come out of the bar, hopefully not exactly in his right mind, inebriated if possible. And my job was to snatch, grab, get information, and then terminate. And I remember doing the snatch and the grab, and then the memory from there. Uh-huh. So you must see movies, right? No, I don't. Oh, you don't. You don't go. I can't. 
Okay. Because I was wondering if, if maybe, you know, there's a lot of violence in movies, a lot of scenes of that kind of thing, and I was wondering if those might trigger some of your memories. They do. Violence, per se, does nothing. I love wrestling. Okay. Uh, as a matter of fact, I used to incorporate professional wrestling techniques into my, my teaching when I was an instructor. It's not the violence, per se. The last movie I tried to watch of that nature was The Born Identity. I couldn't get halfway through it. Uh, I just, I do a total change. Okay, you see, your personality does a change? My personality changes. Uh, God help whoever I'm watching the movie with. And I usually, I'll just get up and walk away. Sci-fi movies don't bother me. But anything concerning government black operations, CIA, NSA, uh, covert killings, I can't do it. Do you have any remembrance of other planets? I know this sounds a little out there, but I have no. Actually, not. <laughs> actually, not. Uh-huh. There is one thing that a couple of us share, and that is a deep fear and dread of the planet Mars. Bring up the planet Mars to us, and it's just like what well, one of those movies. About to, I was just about to do that. So, yeah, Mars specifically. There is something about Mars that changes our entire attitude at that time. Uh, I know one person who point blank says they better leave Mars alone. Leave it alone. Meaning, leave it alone, don't talk about it, or meaning don't, don't go, go there? Don't go, that they're waking something up. On Mars. Mm-hmm. Now you're, okay, you're still a psychic, what do sure. you say? Okay. So you must have some thoughts or associations with Mars. Are you willing to talk about that? I mean, cause I, don't, I, I know that you said that you, you develop headaches sometimes after these talks. Mm-hmm. You know, where you, you know, reveal and kind of go back in your own mind as to your history. I'm having a good one right now. Headaches are part of the conditioning. Sure. Okay. It's a, it's a headache, but it's a fake headache. It's a, it's a programmed headache. I'd like to know if you see um, special machinery. Yes. It's, okay. un- it's underground. Uh-huh. And have you seen any certain kind of beings there? Yes, they're in stasis. It's like a kind of artificially induced hibernation. Thank you. And is that, um, it's not humans that are in that state. No. It's the beings. And they're they're very tall. They have long features. Um, Do they look like the Egyptian? Uh, quite beliefs? a bit. Okay. Quite a bit. Talk a lot about anger in in the recent interview that I saw that you've got, I guess, on your site. Yeah. And... Uh, can you tell us a little about that? Can you describe the anger, how you deal with it? There was At one time, it was pure rage. When these memories came back and when I started, I sat down and I started putting together all the things that started at six years old, all the things that was done to me, things that I was forced to do, et cetera, it was pure rage. You know, my first impulse was to go to D.C. and just, Go nuts, okay. Well, as the old saying goes, I'm crazy but not stupid, okay. 
And as a fighter, I was trained, channel your anger. Don't let your anger channel you. And that's what I started doing. So I took, instead of just being so mad I can't do anything, I turned that anger to being so mad I want to do something. And I've been I've stayed that way. So is that why you started writing books? No, actually I started writing as just kind of my own therapy, just to get it out. Mm-hmm. And I had never written anything. And somebody read some of them and said, this is pretty good, you need to keep it up. And so I did. And now you've got a book coming out, mm-hmm. isn't that right? Yeah, uh, Deadly Awakening. Uh, it's about everything we've talked about here, plus all the side streets that we don't have time to go up. Um, it's supposedly going to be turned into a movie. Okay, that totally caught me off guard. So. Well, that's that's wonderful. Um, you know, that that's very exciting. In terms of telling your story to a wider audience, what would yeah. you like to result from? I would like to see enough people wake up, march on Washington, and say these projects stop and hold the people accountable. Okay, there's not there's not going to be class action lawsuits. There's not going to be prosecution. That's fine. You know, I got over that years ago. Everybody else involved needs to get over that. Just hold them accountable and stop it. Okay? Do you think this is still continuing this day? Yeah. Absolutely, I do. Do you have any information about in what form these projects are continuing? I, I know think... You said that in the 60s, there were thousands of kids. There were one... There only yeah. 60 left. In 1966, there was supposed to have been 1,000 that were taken worldwide that was in my group, as it were. There's only about 20 others left now. You know, I think what I have to have to explain, we were actually at six, seven years old put in survival to fist, okay? Our personalities were split. Anyone, any normal kid, any normal person would not do the things that we did in the right frame of mind. So they had to split our personalities, and they had a clean slate with that new personality. Had no right, no reason, no right, no wrong, no concept. So they made it into what they wanted it to be. This is how they split my personality. Now, I don't know. I'm sure they did the same identical thing to other people, but I know for a fact not to each one. There were different techniques for different people, different kids. Now, the way it was described to me when I was a kid is it's your treatments, almost medical terminology. Imagine being six years old, and this is one of the funny things. I can talk about this with very little emotional because it was done to me, not something I did someone else. You're strapped naked to a wooden chair. Arms out like this, here, you're strapped here, here, here. Your fingertips are spread open, things are inserted here, so you can't do this. And I know you noticed, because I saw it in your mind and I saw it in your eyes, I'm constantly, I have a phobia about my fingertips. What they did is they inserted needles underneath the fingertips. That's bad enough. Hook those needles up to electric current and turn it on. And 
waterboarding is where you, you basically drown the person and then bring them back. And in my case, uh, they did two ways, strapped to a chair and would take a water hose and just spray it. You can't breathe, and then you, you're you gone, and they bring you back and all that. And then I remember having my head dunked. That's why I don't swim. Now, what would be the purpose of that? To, to cause pain, intense pain. What happens when the body and the psyche goes through, the amount of pain it can tolerate, you black out. You pass out, you faint. Well, the Germans brought over a drug with them. Once injected, it blocks those receptors. You can't black out. You can't even force yourself to faint. So once the psyche has gotten to a point where it cannot take any more, you have two choices. Split off into another personality, save yourself, or die. Okay. Okay, I understand. When the pain becomes too much, the way you're able to survive and stay together mentally is actually to go someplace else. Exactly. And you go so far someplace else that you're actually in another, you're creating another. You, you create, exactly. You create a total separate individual mm-hmm. to where they can pull out that alternate personality. Now, one second I'm me, next second I'm somebody else. Mm-hmm. Now I'm back to me. That's how they wanted you. Have you seen Manchurian Candidate? No. You never saw that? No. Okay. Um, well, if I refer to that movie, I don't know if you know what I mean. but I know what the Manchurian Candidate is. Yeah. You know what it's about. Okay. Is it possible that you could be activated by a phone call, say? The last time that I did a job, that's what it was. I got a phone call in the middle of the night. Can I be activated now? I do not think so. They parked the chip out. Okay, do you think it's a tone? Do you think it's words? I mean, do you have any idea what, what it is? I think it's a combination, and I think it's more than one. There's, um, in order to open a combination safe, you've got to have a combination, which is more than one number. So I think what they did, they set up, you have to have a system of checks, balances, and fail-safes mm-hmm. to where if you're watching TV and all of a sudden you hear the correct word or whatever, you freak out and kill everybody. Then you will start seeing this happening everywhere. There has to be a fail-safe to keep that from happening. So I've always thought that it's a combination of words, tones, numbers, I see. What, ha- what have you. But what happened during this night is we, I was in bed. My wife and I were in bed. The phone rings. I reach over, pick it up, put it to my ear. No more than three seconds pass. I hang the phone up. I get up. I get dressed. I leave. I'm gone three days and three nights. And at that time, we lived exactly 11 miles from the airport that you guys passed coming here. Oh. When I came back three days later, there was only 22 additional miles on the car. Mm-hmm. I went to the airport. But you have no memory on where you went. I went to D.C. This is when I went to D.C. and did a termination job on this oh. individual. Now, what year was that? 1985. So this is quite a while ago. Yeah. Now, here's something that I didn't, I'll tell you guys, I didn't want to put on the tape. I'm sitting in a Mexican restaurant, a very nice two-story Mexican restaurant, 
and I hear somebody laughing. This was before the president now was the governor of Texas. I look over, and there's George Jr. sitting at the bar with the Secret Service bodyguards, drunk as a skunk, with the Secret Service trying to get him to calm down. Now, that's when I snapped awake. I don't remember driving there. And I'm looking around, and I'm, where the hell am I at? And But yet, there he is. I have one impulse. Can I terminate? And I had a gun in my pocket. And for whatever reason, I fought the impulse down, and I didn't kill him. In other words, you remember who he is now, but you didn't know who, who he was at when that you were time, there? I didn't have a clue. He was just some guy who was getting drunk with Secret right. Service or nothing. Exactly. I did, did not have a clue who he was. Now, I'm sitting there watching the news sometime later when the governor of Texas has announced his bid to run for the presidency, and I look at him, and I'm like, holy. Well, this was before he became president? Yes. I got it. Years before so in that context, maybe it makes even more sense. And it's even scarier. What about underground bases? Do you think you've ever been in an underground base? I know where one is, <laughs> right here in the state. Um, when I was in my mid-late, mostly late teens, okay, I remember the farmhouse that we lived on was situated in a valley. And there were old logging roads that went all the way around the valley. I had a good five-mile run up and down the mountains on a good graded road. There was also some worked-out strip mines over to the southeast of there. One day I'm running out through there and I decide to drop down the hill and go over and look around. As soon as I do, I can feel the vibrations in the ground. And I drop down and I put my ear to the ground the way my grandfather you know, taught me how to do. And I get up, and this little boy says, get the hell out of here. And I'm running back up the hill, a chopper lands. I didn't go back anymore. But a couple of days later, two things happened at once, okay? My father had a friend. His name was Paul Preston. Paul Preston was somebody, and still is somebody, that I would terminate extreme prejudice. I don't care to say that. When I was 14, we were getting ready to work the field. We had a cash farm. And I was working on a tractor. We lived about a mile up a dirt road, off the main road. And I can sense a vehicle coming before it's halfway up. I stop and I look out, okay, and I see this grayish silver van coming up into the driveway. Brand new. Has a UHF antenna on top. I've never seen anything like this. Again, this is Kentucky in the mid-70s. Nobody had that kind of money. This is before the coal boom, before the energy crisis, before people made 20 bucks an hour. You know, People were lucky to make minimum wage. Okay, And this guy gets out of this van. And I noticed it has Texas tags. I had heard my dad talk about this guy. They were childhood friends. 
And then this was confirmed to me later on that they were in the CIA together, that Paul Preston was actually station chief in more than one area. But he gets out of the, the van, calls me by name. I never met the guy before, to my knowledge. And in that instant, I had two thoughts. One was run, because this guy's bad news, this guy's dangerous. Run. The other was take him out, kill him before he kills you. Okay. I'm only 14 years old. Wow. Yeah, my hair was longer then than it is now. <laughs> and my dad comes down from the house. And they do the handshake, slap on the back, you huggy, all this kind of stuff. Well, Mr. Preston looks at my dad, gets real serious, says, we got to go talk. So my dad changes. His demeanor changes. So they go away for about 20 minutes. And all this time, you know, I got the tool chest. I'm working the tractor going, you know, spring plow, you know, all that kind of stuff. 20, 30 minutes later, Paul Preston comes back down from the house. He ain't talking to me then. He's in a real bad mood. Gets in the van, leaves. I barely saw my dad the rest, the rest of that day because this is early morning because it's still cool. You know, you don't want, didn't want to be around him the rest of the day. Okay, he was one ticked off. Irishman. Well, that night, okay, my mom had a habit of sitting on the front porch at night. And I slept upstairs. She came in that night about 10, 11 o'clock, screaming for my dad that there's something over top of the house. And by the time he went out, it was gone. And I could hear the whole, the whole conversation. She said it was bigger than the house, was round, had lights all the way around it. I didn't know anything about UFOs. I knew nothing about that. I knew farming. I knew martial arts. You know, I knew how to fight. I knew how to hunt, how to track, et cetera, et cetera. I knew nothing about anything like that. So the next night, this happens again. The third day, something happens to me, Okay. All the time I work and I train. I work and I train. So I'm going 12 hours a day every day. I worked out even harder than I had ever done before. And I think the reason being is to go to bed early because that's exactly what I did. I went to bed early. That night, I go to bed. I'm laying there. Don't know how long. But I feel like I'm on fire. When I snapped awake, I can't move. All I can do is open my eyes. The whole upstairs is full of light. And I can see a bipedal figure standing by the bed. I can see a head. I can see the arms. I can see the legs. That's it. And I know it's talking to me. It's telling me something. And the next thing I know, my dad is shaking my shoulder. Because my brothers saw the light, and they thought the upstairs was on fire. That's all I remember. I don't remember anything again until I'm almost 18. Meaning no memories between the age of 14 and the age of 18. Right. I didn't get my driver's license until I was almost 18. Hmm. I should have had them at 16. I didn't get them until I was almost 18 because I wasn't around to get them. Do you remember what the being looked like other than two arms, two legs? That's all I could see. A torso, two arms, two legs, and a head. Not an oval shaped head, but a head head shaped head. Normal a normal uh-huh. shaped head. Um, 
I'm estimating maybe six feet tall. And it was white as well, but a pale shade of white than the rest of the white in the room. Mm. I think all of these go together. The visit from Paul Preston, the craft over the house, and then my leaving again. All go together. And your father's anger, perhaps? Yeah. I think he may have thought, for whatever reason, that I was clear of it. And then Paul Preston comes back and says, uh, no. I don't think he had a choice in the matter. Um, the only anger I have with them is not coming out and telling me something. Okay? It's, especially after I'm, adult, I'm an adult and I start getting memories back and I start saying, okay, what gives here? I know this isn't what happened. I know this wasn't right. What gives? I think I, you know, I think I deserve more of an answer than can't tell you and leave. The first thing I did is when I started getting memories back is I started looking up old friends, and I would ask them during this year, 73, 74, 75, where were we? What were we doing? I have memories of doing things, and every one of them, to a T, we were doing this. We were out doing this. Well, I remember that. They go, how could you? You weren't here. Hmm. And one guy even went so far as to say, we went up to the farm to pick you up one day to see if you wanted to go away. We hadn't heard from you. Dad ran us off. Those are, so what I had of those years were false, false memories. Huh. The memories I had of camping, going to the Dairy Queen, you know, that kind of thing, were implanted. So, you you also said in your writing that you have a, one of your arms is, is wired or something, the right you call one. it? Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, the implant is right here. I know it's right there for two specific reasons. One, I had a guy put the, a meter over it. And they found it that way, and two, it itches. And what it is, I call it an enhancer. It increases physical strength and, and speed. Is <clears throat> like wires that run from it to go down the arm, add into the fingers. And it's only in this shoulder and this arm. It's not body wide. I wish it was, but it's not. Um, this is the hand and the arm that I busted many heavy bags with. Um, as a matter of fact, there was an incident to where I grabbed a guy who was a good 40 pounds heavier than me and just straight up off his feet. And then when I realized what I had done, it just dropped. It's like it's tied. I don't know the science of how it's tied in. I, I really don't. But I know that it's tied in with the fight or flight scenario when there's danger kicks in if I feel threatened it kicks in the throwing of energy yeah that one freaked me out when it happened Uh, I had a job in Lexington a place that at that time was called the community kitchen there was no kitchen what it was was a a facility for homeless indigenous that kind of thing we had uh, doctor's offices, we had social service offices, showers, clothing, all that. But it was also a haven for pushers, 
users, abusers, rapists, killers, you name it, they came in there. We could, ha- we could have 60 to 100 people in the facility at any one time, and I was chief of security. And we had a fight that broke out. I mean, it was nothing. We'd have three or four fights a day, okay? But we had two girls get into it. They fight worse than men, okay? And my partner had one holding her down. I was holding the other one down. And when I say holding them down, I was just sitting there with one arm on her shoulder, okay? She was laughing about it. And the next thing I know, I look up, and I see this extremely large man standing over top of him. And he's got three or four friends with him. And he's giving this routine. I'm giving you the account of whatever to get off of her. I'm going to do this. Well, I snapped. I'm on the ground. I look up. I see I'm outnumbered, outgunned. I changed. Normally, I would have rolled out of the way, got up, started cussing right back at him threw him out the door. Uh, no. I stood up and hit him. And the witnesses there said, I didn't just hit him once. I hit him 12 times in a matter of a second. It broke his neck. His neck was as big as my legs. And it, it just snapped his neck. Well, when that happened, the whole facility went berserk. It just went, half of them were coming at me and my partner, and the other half was using it as an excuse to get whoever they didn't like. Hmm. And it's during these times that something happens that I can't explain. It's like I step outside of space and time. Everything turns black and white. Everything goes slow motion. Hmm. It's like I've got all the time in the world to go from point A to point B because this guy ain't moving. Okay, and it's like I'm just walking through, bam, 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 guys going down, and then I'm grabbed. This guy grabs me by the throat, and I just snapped sideways, threw my hands, palm down, just threw them down, and screamed inside my mind. The guy goes up and back. I never touched him. And when that happened, that ended the entire fight. But I'm standing there, and I'm looking around, and I'm suddenly aware that everybody's staring at me. And somewhere during this time, the cops have been called. <clears throat> so here come the cops. Here come the ambulances, the paramedics. <clears throat> and I talked to one of the cops, gave the report. Uh, half of them are taken to the hospital. The other half are barred out. Some are taken to jail. And I went to the nearest bar I could find. And I stood there because I didn't know what to do. I knew what it, I knew something had happened. I knew it was real because people were saying, were coming up to me, what did you do? How did you do that? And I'm like, I don't have an answer for you. I don't know. What year was this that this happened? 1989 or 90. I'm trying to... I worked so many jobs during that time, during those years, which is something else that I've been told is vindicative of all of us that came out of these black operations. <laughs> and then it was a good old job. It was like, and I know from personal experience, 
<clears throat> we'd be the greatest thing since sliced bread for a couple months. And then all of a sudden, this boss or supervisor comes out, finds something wrong, and we're fired. What I found out over the, over the years is that I'm, that's not unique to me, mm-hmm. <clears throat> is they want to keep you one step below poverty level, keep your mind occupied on other things. Right, survival, right. daily survival, so that you, you can't go further into your own memories type of thing. And there's also another reason for that, and I've been told this by more than one person. Who listens to somebody who's broke? Mm-hmm. Sure. But everybody listens to someone who's wealthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, that's, I think those two go together to make, to make that. There was an incident which you also reported that you described uh, as a kind of personal teleportation incident or you went through a wall and you had a witness. Yes, absolutely. What do you recall about that? I get freaked out every time I think about that one. Um, It was in a house in Oklahoma and I was helping a friend of mine move and I was in the one bedroom and she was in the kitchen. For me to get from the bed to the front door would have entailed going down, cutting across, down, cutting across, very winding way. Well, as I said, she was in the kitchen, straight line, kitchen, living room, front door. No door in between, no wall in between. Well, she was reading and doing her own thing in the kitchen, and I'm sound asleep, and her youngest son gets up screaming and goes to the front door trying to get out. It's 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. She jumps up, starts to run to get him. I hear the scream, and I remember raising up on one, one shoulder in the mind, seeing the kid reaching toward the door, and I'm at the door. She said that I came through the wall in front of her, and all she could do was to stop and say, whoa. And I think whatever I did, if I had froze inside that wall, that would have been fun. (laughs) Uh, My grandfather, my mom's mom, was a full-blood Cherokee, and he gave me the name of Grayfeather. Gray feather? Yeah. Uh-huh. And I asked him once, I said, you know, Pops, what does gray feather mean? And he said, you're a tween man. And he had an accent. And, and I said, what? <laughs> he said, you walk between worlds. And this is before I knew anything about anything. I saw 9-11 two weeks before it happened. I put it up on some bulletin boards on the net, was laughed at. I lived in Delaware that time, right on the eastern shore, walking distance to the beach. I had a trip planned to Boston. A couple of days before the trip, because we were going to drive it, I get a phone call. And it's the metallic, digitized voice that says, postpone your trip. Two-day window, plus or minus one day, wherever, here, here, or here. It's going to be something big happening in New York. You don't want to be, don't be caught in it. Now, have you had other premonitions that haven't come true yet? 
Yeah. I, I've seen this country almost split in half. Uh, I mean, physically split in half. Again, I, I lived in Delaware, and I just laid down. And it's one of those times, one minute I'm here, next minute I'm here, okay? And I'm looking down on the United States. This is before I knew about the super volcano and, and all this and that. But I saw that area all going up into Canada, coming all the way down into Mexico. The whole western part of the country split off from the rest of the, of the United States. And what I'm seeing is like a, a river of fire coming all the way down. Wow. And did you have a timeline for that? Soon. Very soon. So do you, are you making any plans for yourself and your family because of what you're dreaming or seeing? Yeah. Yeah? yeah. Uh-huh. Going, are you finding a safe place? There's really not going to be a safe place. Um, the best preparedness that I know of is to, to be able to be mobile. Mm-hmm. There is no one safe place. Okay. I started to go public when I lived in Delaware. Uh, after an attempt was made on my life. So when was that, approximately? About um, 2002. I was out for a jog. I mean, I'd had other things happen before, but I didn't, at that time, never made the connection. Okay? Now I make the connection. I was out for a jog, and it's in the wintertime, and I hear a motorcycle. You ever been on the East Coast in the wintertime when the wind blows? It's frigid. I have, actually. And I'm out jogging, and I hear a motorcycle, and I start the ears go up, hairs start standing up, one of those. So I go from a hard run just to a light jog, and I see the motorcycle. Solid black. No insignia, just solid black. Two riders dressed in black. Black OPEC face mask. I'm going this way, they're coming this way. This thing is going so slow, I'm trying to understand how in the world it's staying up. And as it comes up to me, I'm running scenarios. Okay, I'm wearing ankle weights and wrist weights. Okay, I'm waiting to see a gun. So I'm thinking, this is coming off, this is going to throw, forward row, kick the back wheel, try to get an advantage. All this is playing out of my mind. The guy does open his coat, puts his hand in his coat. It's the, the, the writer. All I see are two fingers. Points them at me and goes like this and goes back. And I'm thinking, okay, this is just a warning, okay? And they slowly go on down the road, going toward Route 1 to go north. I didn't make it 10 steps. I had puke, bile, Everything. I had to crawl home. I was sick for three days. I finally got to the doctor and said I had some kind of unknown viral infection. He did shoot me. Just not with a gun. I think half the people who hear what I have to say look at look at it and say, what a lion stack of dung. This is so much BS, there is no way any of this could happen, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I'll give a response that I gave a guy on a radio show one night. I wish that were true, 
I'd love to be able to take a pill every day and have a nice life, but I can't because it did happen. And I don't have the whole story myself, and I may never get it. What happened to me, you know, I, 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 know, I, I told about how they split the personality. That's just the tip of the iceberg, okay? I remember the beatings. Uh, to being thrown naked into a refrigerator refrigerator room because I couldn't get something right. You know, this went on and on, and not just to me, but to all of us that were in this particular group. And this stuff shouldn't happen. You know, we consider ourselves a civilized, free society. There's nothing civilized about this. There's nothing free about this. There is strength in numbers. I would like to see, I mean, come on. You can have a million-man march on Washington put together by somebody that the government laughed at. Why couldn't we do the same thing? This stuff has got to stop. You know, people, like I said, we're supposed to live in a civilized, free society. We don't. When they can walk in, take you as a child, turn you into a killer, and then use you, abuse you, and when when they're done, throw you away. It shouldn't happen. And you asked earlier, what is the one thing that I would like to see come of this and any subsequent movies, videos, whatever? I want to sit in a chair just like this in Washington, D.C., in front of the full Senate and demand answers. I'd do it in a heartbeat. I ain't shy. the American Voice Radio Network, broadcasting live on satellite at Galaxy 7, Transponder 12, Audio 8.1, or on the Internet at AmericanVoiceRadio.com. You can hear American Voice Radio 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The Federal Reserve System virtually controls the nation's monetary system. Yet it is accountable to no one. It has no budget. It is subject to no audit. And no congressional committee knows of or can truly supervise its operations. of the late Professor Murray N. Rothbard, economist and academic vice president of the Ludwig von Mises Institute. The Institute is dedicated to the ideals of a free market and sound money. This program is dedicated to the memory of Murray N. Rothbard and his prolific work on money and banking.
than 20 years, the living standards of middle-class Americans have steadily declined. Incomes have remained flat or fallen, and the opportunities and security we once took for granted have begun to fade. For most families, one income no longer pays the bills. It requires two or more incomes to afford a home, pay medical and child care expenses, and put children through school. Unless present trends change, young workers are unlikely to ever live as well as their parents. Good jobs with a future are harder to come by. Education doesn't count for what it once did. Taxes continue to rise, while Social Security is going bankrupt. Private pensions are no longer reliable. Economic volatility and uncertainty are on the rise. Politicians espouse numerous theories about the cause of this country's economic woes. Seldom, however, do these officials look below the surface. The roots of our economic ills can be traced to central banking and our present monetary system. The Federal Reserve claims to manage our money. Instead, it makes our money worth less and less every day. It has generated continuous and worsening business cycles and lowered our living standards. It's really no different from a burglar in your house wanting to steal your money. That's what the Federal Reserve does. It, it depreciates your savings, it takes away your uh, economic security, and it ought to be treated as an institution that does that rather than something of alleged benefit. Money is supposed to serve as a reliable standard of economic value, not a source of instability. Until we restore sound money and take away the government's ability to debase it, we have little hope of restoring the freedom and prosperity that made America great. And uh, we really have a choice of what we want in money. Do we want money that's going to be losing its value every year, or do we want money that's going to be gaining in value? If you are happy with your money losing value, then you want the present system. If you want money to increase in value, then you want a gold standard. What is money? As the good that makes exchange possible, it's the foundation of every economic activity. In the earliest times, people traded goods and services directly. This form of exchange is known as barter. That is, um, if a fishing tribe uh, desired to, um, to have maybe wheat, um, which they themselves did not produce, they would seek out uh, other individuals that produced wheat, uh, and then they would exchange there for fish. But barter had limitations in the marketplace. Well, actually, people perceived pretty quickly problems with that direct exchange. Um, if you wanted, for example, uh, fish and that uh, you had wheat, but the people who had fish didn't desire the wheat, uh, you were stuck, okay, unless you went out and found some other goods, possibly berries, that everyone in that society consumed. Then you would trade your wheat for the, for, for the berries in full confidence that you could turn around and trade the berries for the fish or anything else that you desired. Eventually, the most widely accepted goods in a society became valued for their use in indirect exchange. Money is simply another name for the most generally accepted medium of exchange. Through history, many goods have served as money. Feathers from the Quetzalbird were used for exchange by the Mayan Indians up to the 15th century in Central America. Tea leaves compressed into bricks were traded in East Asia 
through the 1800s. Wampum shells were money to North American Indians, while early American colonists traded beaver pelts, which had a high value both at home and abroad. Metal coins first emerged in Greece and Asia Minor during the 7th century BC. Gold and silver were valued for their use in beauty and jewelry and the decorative arts. They were durable, easily divisible, and limited in supply. These precious metals also had a high value to weight ratio, making them easily transportable. You might think back, or we can think back to a time when, when iron was used as money, for example, in Africa. Um, but imagine going into, uh, into Sears Roebuck and trying to purchase, um, uh, let's say, a lawnmower for $350. That would take a ton of iron, whereas it would only take an ounce of gold. In 1536, less than 50 years after Christopher Columbus set foot on American soil, a Spanish mint in Mexico City struck the first coins made in the New World. These silver coins eventually found their way into the British colonies. Great Britain's mercantilist policies deliberately tried to keep precious metals out of America, so the Spanish milled dollar became the unofficial currency. It was often divided into eight pieces for smaller transactions, hence the term pieces of eight, with one quarter of the coin being two bits. In 1792, Thomas Jefferson adopted the dollar as this country's official monetary unit. He looked around, he investigated to see what were the American people using as money, and that was the dollar. And so that's why that, that dollar became the standard of the United States. And we went on and silver standard and started minting gold coins for the American eagle, $10 gold coin. Jefferson, in particular, spoke eloquently of the dangers of paper money. During the War for Independence, the Continental Congress printed vast sums of paper money out of thin air to finance the army. The diluted money supply naturally depreciated to almost nothing, leading to the phrase, not worth a Continental. And the people who held on to these notes, who tended to be patriotic Americans, concerned about wanted America to be free of British, uh, British control, lost everything. Whereas the Tories, who wanted nothing to do with this American government money, immediately got rid of it, uh, were benefited. Uh, and Tawatai Webster, the first American economist, and others who looked at this saw that this paper money, unbacked by, by gold, was extremely dangerous. As early as the 16th century in Europe, goldsmiths stored gold coins for their customers for a fee and issued receipts for the gold to the depositor. Thus began the use of paper as money. In other words, if you came in and deposited 10 ounces of gold for safekeeping, you got back receipts in the amount of 10 gold ounces. And those receipts entitled you to instantaneously redeem that gold. These receipts soon became widely accepted as a means of exchange, since it was easier and safer to use the receipts for significant transactions. This was the origin of banknotes as money substitutes. These first bankers then took this process one step further. In effect, uh, if the goldsmith had 1,000 ounces of gold and 1,000 ounces of legitimate receipts being held by the deposit of that gold, he could increase his profits by merely printing up another 1,000 ounces worth of receipts and lending them out, okay. in which case you would effectively get 50% reserve banking or fractional reserve banking. 
only a, a fraction, 50% of, of the receipts were now backed by gold. There was no longer a one-to-one -one ratio of paper to gold. Now there could be three or four pieces of paper in circulation for every unit of gold in the vault. These bankers were no longer simply storing or warehousing gold for a fee. They were artificially inflating the money supply and loaning out these phony receipts at interest. This system became known as fractional reserve banking and was later transported to the early American colonies. It formed the root of American commercial banking and ultimately the Federal Reserve System. This is a fraudulent system that's not allowed in any other business. Uh, if you had a grain warehouse that uh, had loaned out the grain it was supposed to have in storage, that's considered criminal. The guy would go to jail. But the banks are uh, the one industry that's allowed to get away with this and to profit from it. Alexander Hamilton became the first Treasury Secretary and in 1791 set up the first Bank of the United States as America's central bank to expand the supply of paper money for the benefit of the government and the commercial banks. Alexander Hamilton um, believed in a strong central government and he saw a central bank as one of the means by which the, um, the government could be centralized and by which its power uh, could, could be expressed. Thomas Jefferson opposed this view. He saw a central bank as an undemocratic tool of the Northeastern banking establishment. It was dismantled after 20 years. Jefferson was an opponent of, of, of a strong central government and um, at all costs wanted to remove um, the central bank. In 1816, the federal government made another attempt to set up an inflationary central bank. But this second bank of the United States was denounced by President Andrew Jackson as a monster bank for benefiting a few at the expense of many. They inflated the money supply, uh, which brought about um, a boom initially, that is prosperity to the country, uh, followed by a bust. When they stopped inflating the money supply, uh, many businesses that had depended on the low interest rates that were introduced or induced by the, um, the initial inflation went out of business. Jackson succeeded in abolishing the second central bank in 1836. But by then, speculators had set up hundreds of new private banks with little or no gold to back the notes they issued. The nation's monetary system became more stable when the United States introduced a gold standard in 1834. The dollar was worth approximately 1 20th of an ounce of gold. The gold standard was understood by, by the founding fathers, by Andrew Jackson and others, as being a, a money of the people. That is, it was a, a hard money, a money that could not be tampered with, um, that could not be um, inflated to uh, permit government uh, expenditures um, skyrocketing. But by 1862, Abraham Lincoln needed to fund his invasion of the South. So once again, the government began to print up paper money. Basically, the United States went off the gold standard in order to finance uh, the Civil War. Okay. And you'll find in history that um, almost every large war, every major war, uh, has involved a departure from the gold standard. Because the gold standard put strict limits on, on government financing. Lincoln's notes became known as greenbacks because they were printed in green ink rather than the usual black ink on the reverse side. 
These so-called fiat notes were deemed legal tender by the government, but they were not redeemable in gold. Lincoln, at the cover of war, issued uh, tremendous numbers of greenbacks. Gold was still circulating, but people were forced to accept these greenbacks uh, as if they were at par with gold. The government's power to print unbacked paper notes would later become the pillar of the Federal Reserve System. After the Civil War, the nation's monetary system became sounder when the U.S. adopted a gold standard. We were back on the gold standard in 1879 and had probably the greatest period of growth and of prosperity ever in the country's history. For nearly 20 years, the total output of goods and services grew at an unprecedented rate of 4% per year. The reason being that um, with a sound money um, and without the, the ability to manipulate the interest rates, um, we had a lot of, of, of genuine saving and investment, uh, which then led to more capital goods and higher labor productivity in the United States. In the midst of this prosperity, the big industrialists and financiers were plotting to expand their empires with the help of government. With the passage of the Interstate Commerce Act of 1887, the large railroads succeeded in blocking their smaller competitors through regulation. The ICC was put in place in order to protect um, the, the railroad owners from competition. Okay? It was not the case that, that um, it was going to protect consumers uh, or shippers. In fact, consumers were hurt because ultimately, with higher railroad rates, they were forced to pay higher prices for the goods and services. That were, that were shipped across the country. By 1896, they were poised to do the same thing with the banks. Two camps emerged as leaders in this economic war. They were led by J.P. Morgan, the world's most powerful private banker, and John D. Rockefeller, the oil tycoon. Morgan and Rockefeller were great adversaries, but despite their business differences, they both favored a central bank. They wanted cheap credit and an inflated money supply to finance the expansion of their empires. Together, they led the campaign to sell the idea to the American public, which later led to the founding of the Federal Reserve. If the American people um, got wind of the fact that this bank was not in their interests, in fact, they, they understood that it was in the interests of, of the financial elites who would use it to inflate the money supply and in doing so um, increase their own revenues, um, there would have been hell to pay. Uh, legislation would have never passed under those conditions. So it had to be sold to the American people as a way of making their currency more elastic. The bank reform campaign received a boost in 1907 when there was a run on some of New York's biggest banks thanks to their fractional reserves. Panic spread among depositors who got wind of the bank's insolvency and tried to withdraw their money. The Knickerbocker Trust failed, and two other institutions went to the brink of bankruptcy despite a $35 million bailout from J.P. Morgan. Wall Street swiftly adopted the fear of bank failures to sell the idea of a central bank, or lender of last resort, to the American public. So the Federal Reserve would be the lender of last resort in case any bank got into trouble they wouldn't have to worry 
take of the cash from Washington, D.C. The question is, however, whether it is really desirable to have such a thing as a lender of last resort. Um, the um, correct position appears to me that every single bank should be responsible for its own debts and contractual obligations. Uh, and if banks, through imprudent policy, then go bankrupt, this should not be considered a bad thing, but in fact considered to be a magnificent thing, because bankruptcies, the danger of bankruptcies, is precisely what makes banks adhere to sound policies. Bank runs and failures continued at an alarming rate. In 1908, the National Monetary Commission, headed by John D. Rockefeller's father-in-law, Senator Nelson Aldrich, was set up to push for a central bank. In November of 1910, under the guise of a duck hunting trip, six men took a secret train ride to an exclusive private club on Jekyll Island, Georgia, to write a central banking act. The classified gathering read like a who's who of American banking. There were two Rockefeller men, Aldrich and Frank Vanderlip of the National City Bank of New York. Two Morgan men, Henry P. Davidson from Morgan Bank and Charles D. Norton, president of Morgan's First National Bank of New York. Paul Warburg, a Kuhn Low partner, and Assistant Treasury Secretary A.P. Andrew, who was friendly to both camps. They spent a week at the luxurious club as Morgan's guests, crafting the proposals that would form the basis of the Federal Reserve System. It would be three years before their vision was realized. Just before Christmas, 1913, the Federal Reserve Act was passed by Congress and signed by President Wilson. It established a Federal Reserve System to oversee monetary policy and regulate the commercial banks. It's no coincidence that the Federal Reserve System was established by the Wilson administration. This was the height of the Progressive Era, a time of tremendous government expansion of special interest deals in Washington. There are 12 regional reserve banks concentrated in the East and the Midwest. The Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve controls and coordinates their activities. The board is made up of seven members appointed by the president. Even though there were 12 regional banks, Wall Street soon ran the show. As president of the New York Fed, Morgan protege Benjamin Strong seized control of the board's open market committee operations. Strong would remain the dominant force at the Fed until his death in 1928. The Federal Open Market Committee, now based in Washington, directs the Fed's most important instrument of monetary policy, the purchase and sale of government securities on the open market. To increase the supply of money and credit, that is, to inflate, the Fed buys government securities from a few hand-picked firms with newly created money. To tighten money and credit, the Fed sells securities. In this, it can act on its own discretion. Every government wants the ability to create new money. It's an alternative to raising taxes. Taxes, as we said, when they're raised, tend, tend to be, evoke a lot of um, uh, resistance among the public. It's much less painless 
to increase the money supply. The effects, um, the, the negative effects, don't occur until six months, a year, two years later, at which time the increasing prices can, can be blamed on other factors, the weather, um, speculators, and so on. Another device the Fed uses to control the amount of money in circulation is setting the discount rate. This is the interest rate charged to member banks when they borrow short-term from the so-called discount window. If the Fed lowers the discount rate for its loans, commercial banks will likely borrow more from the Fed. This increases the amount of funds banks have to lend. Bank credit thus becomes cheaper, as reflected in lower interest rates on bank loans and credit cards. The increase in funds available for banks to lend also increases the amount of money in the economy. The Fed can also manipulate the nation's money supply by raising or lowering the reserve requirement. Banks are required to set aside a percentage of their deposits as reserves to meet depositors' demands. When the Fed was established in 1913, it cut reserve requirements in half over the next four years, doubling the money supply by the end of World War I. But the Fed's real power lies in its monopoly to create money. Although the U.S. was still on the gold standard in 1913, it was quickly eroded as the Fed continued to expand the money supply. The first step was backing Federal Reserve notes by only 40% in gold, allowing the money supply to be increased two and a half times. The inflationary effect of fractional reserve banking was also heightened by the central bank. The commercial banks are permitted to create checkbook money on top of Federal Reserve notes. That is to say, the commercial banks are only obliged by law um, to hold reserves in the form of Federal Reserve notes of 10% to back all demand deposits that they have. 90% of their demand deposits are backed by nothing. The Federal Reserve System adds another inflationary layer to an already unstable banking system. For example, if the central bank has $100 worth of gold reserves in its vault and a 10% reserve requirement, it can print up $1,000 of new notes and deposits, which become the reserves of the commercial banks. The commercial banks take this $1,000, and if they're required to hold 10% again in reserve, they can multiply the $1,000 into $10,000 through fractional reserve loans. So an inverted pyramid is created with $100 worth of gold or real money at the bottom and $10,000 of inflated paper money at the top. As this $10,000 in new paper money circulates in the economy, it drives prices up, therefore reducing the buying power of ordinary citizens. When they spend that money, people who get the new money first and are able to, to buy products with it uh, benefit, and the people who get it at the end lose because when they go to spend it, prices have already gone up and so they're able to buy less. And so there's a transfer of wealth and of power uh, from some segments of the economy to others because of the actions of the central bank. And basically, those who benefit are the government itself, uh, big banks, and government contractors, and uh, anybody who's closely associated with the federal government. By making enormous amounts of credit easily available, the Fed can also drive down interest rates, 
sending out the wrong signal to investors. It sets in motion an unsustainable investment boom that carries with it the seeds of its own destruction. It's this business cycle that is ultimately responsible for economic disasters such as the Great Depression. Soon after the Federal Reserve was established, the U.S. entered World War I. Once again, the government temporarily abandoned the gold standard to print more money to finance the war effort. The U.S. government borrowed heavily, and the national debt ballooned from $1 billion to $27 billion. A sharp spike of inflation followed. This set off a cycle of rapid expansion and contraction in the economy. To dampen the overheated economy, the Fed halted its inflation, causing interest rates to nearly double over the next 18 months. By 1921, the market began to recover. New technology helped to increase productivity. Markets developed for new cars and appliances. The 1920s were a period of extraordinary growth. But behind the scenes, much of this growth was distorted by a Fed-generated inflationary credit expansion. This was the Roaring Twenties. This was a period of increasing affluence. That hid the inflation from American economies. The Fed-generated bubble burst in the Wall Street crash of October 1929. Speculators who had borrowed money to buy shares when bank credit was readily available saw the stock market lose one-third of its value. Bank loans totaling $7 billion were outstanding. As the speculators defaulted on their loans, bank failures spiraled and the Great Depression set in. Depositors lost their bank accounts, both their savings deposits and checking deposits. Uh, they sort of disappeared into thin air. In 1932, Franklin D. Roosevelt was elected president and quickly implemented a New Deal policy of spending us to prosperity. Even though we needed lower taxes and lower spending, his administration would seek unprecedented amounts of money to finance its big government programs. In his inaugural speech on March 4, 1933, Roosevelt vowed to put an end to poverty and the unemployment lines and get people back to work. It didn't work. The Depression got worse. Thanks to increased central planning, FDR only succeeded in making the monetary system even less sound. Just after taking office, the president declared a four-day nationwide bank holiday, absolving the bankrupt fractional reserve banks of any need to repay their depositors. But before the banks reopened, the Roosevelt administration had to come up with a scheme that would lead people to believe that new deposits would be safe. It created the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation to lull the public into a sense of security. In reality, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation holds just half of 1% of all the deposits it insures. But what people are counting on is that the Fed, as the lender of last resort, would step in and print whatever money would be necessary to prevent a massive bank run. By the mid-1930s, control of the Fed by the New York bankers was drawing to a close. The Morgan era ended when President Roosevelt, who was no friend of the Morgans, 
appointed Mariner Eccles as its governor. Eccles, a Republican from Utah, moved the activities of the Open Market Committee to Washington. President Roosevelt was on hand for the dedication of a new $3.5 million building to house the Fed. I dedicate this building today to progress, to progress toward the ideal of an America in which every worker will be able to provide his family at all times with an ever-rising standard of American comfort. 1933 also marked the beginning of the end for the gold standard. There was no end to Roosevelt's appetite for spending on such New Deal programs as the gigantic $13 billion Tennessee Valley Authority, which flooded vast areas of productive farmland to provide government-subsidized electricity. The Works Progress Administration, which spent $11 billion on make-work jobs and pork barrel public works. But the U.S. currency was tied to gold, which limited the amount of money the Fed could print to pay for these costly projects. So the government scrapped the gold standard for American citizens in 1933, and then Roosevelt confiscated the people's gold. As in World War I, the warring parties in the Second World War abandoned the gold standard to finance the war with central bank-generated inflation. After the war, there was an attempt to use the prestige of the gold standard to establish a global inflationary system. The world's financial leaders met at Bretton Woods in New Hampshire under the direction of the famous economist John Maynard Keynes. Their idea was to set up a new international monetary system that would have both gold and inflation. Under this system, the U.S. dollar would be um, redeemable in gold, but only for foreign official institutions, central banks, and foreign governments, uh, at the rate of $35 per ounce. All other currencies would have fixed exchange rates with the U.S. dollar, and they would be redeemable in U.S. dollars. The New York Times editorialist Henry Hazlitt was one of the first to realize that this semi-gold standard would not succeed. Even from the very beginning, it was doomed to failure, and this uh, uh, very outstanding journalist at that time, Henry Hazlitt, predicted it wouldn't work, because he says the temptation will always be that the government will print more money uh, because they will accept these dollars, and they won't demand the gold, and won't hold the government in check, and he was absolutely right. During the 1960s, the U.S. government was trying to meet the cost of massive social welfare programs at home and the Vietnam War abroad. By printing more money, President Lyndon Johnson believed, the U.S. government could accomplish its goals without raising taxes, which may have caused a taxpayer revolt. In other words, it could have both guns and butter. We will make sure that every dollar is spent with its thrift and with a common sense which recognizes how hard the taxpayer works in order to earn it. But the more money the U.S. printed, the more it eroded the value of the dollar. Nervous foreigners began redeeming their dollars in gold, as they were entitled to do under the Bretton Woods Agreement. After paying out billions in gold, the U.S. was left with $36 billion worth of outstanding debt to foreign creditors and gold reserves worth just $18 billion. 
Rather than stop the inflation, in 1971, President Richard Nixon refused to redeem any more dollars. I have directed Secretary Connolly to suspend temporarily the convertibility of the dollar into gold or other reserve assets, except in amounts and conditions determined to be in the interest of monetary stability and in the best interest of the United States. It was the death knell for the Bretton Woods semi-gold standard and a triumph for the Federal Reserve. The dollar would no longer have even the illusion of a fixed value against other currencies. It would float against them, causing even more dislocation in foreign trade and massive uncertainties for businessmen. Worse, the final check on dollar creation disappeared, creating endless possibilities for inflation. It's running at more than 300% since 1971, thanks to the Fed's power to create money out of thin air and to insured deposits. No U.S. federal budget has been balanced since it abandoned the gold standard. I don't think that that's something that um, enhances the efficiency of our economy. Uh, I, I believe that, that the best money is a market-determined money, okay, such, as the gold, such as we had under the gold standard. In order to get back to a market-determined money, the Fed has to be abolished. There is not now, nor has there ever been, any direct control over the Fed by the President or Congress. The meetings of the Federal Reserve Board are held in secret, and nobody knows exactly what goes on. If you watch the business report every night, commentators are constantly speculating about what the Fed might do. All eyes were on Washington today as the Federal Reserve met to decide the future direction of interest rates. Most economists expect the Fed to leave monetary policy unchanged. It has spawned a whole industry of Fed watchers who try to second-guess the Fed. Federal Reserve has been surrounded by secrecy ever since its planning, its installation, and its operations to the present day. And the reason is because they can't tell the truth. If they told the truth, there'd be a revolution and there'd be a bunch of Americans there ready to all toss them out of a building. A recent attempt to open the Fed to public scrutiny came in 1993. The head of the House Banking Committee, Representative Henry Gonzalez of Texas, called for an independent audit of the Fed's operations. He wanted the proceedings of the Open Market Committee videotaped, with detailed minutes released within a week instead of vague summaries issued several weeks later. Gonzalez also proposed that the president choose the 12 heads of the Fed's regional banks instead of powerful bankers. Predictably, Fed Chairman Alan Greenspan resisted the changes. What was surprising was President Bill Clinton's position. He declared the reforms would, quote, run the risk of undermining market confidence in the Fed. After the Mexican government inflated and devalued the peso in 1995, the Mexican economy went into a tailspin. Alan Greenspan lobbied Congress and the Clinton administration for a $52 billion bailout. As it turned out, the Fed's member banks held as much as $26 billion in Mexican debt. With no choice in the matter, American taxpayers and savers paid the bill. The congressmen themselves, from my experience there, they're pretty naive and they don't understand that the few that have to, like the chairman of the banking committee, uh, is aware of this and goes along with it. Uh, and they, they continue to perpetuate this myth that uh, the Federal Reserve brings about stability and they do good things for economic growth, even though they're the culprits. They're the ones who have caused all the problems. They're the ones who caused the recession, the unemployment, 
and the downsizing of big business and all the uh, ill effects that we have to witness. But their PR job is excellent because they have convinced most congressmen that they are very necessary to maintain stability and economic growth and all these wonderful things that they uh, claim credit for. It is clear that the United States cannot rely on Alan Greenspan or any other Fed chairman to fight the chronic inflation that has wrecked our savings, distorted our economy, redistributed income and wealth, and brought us devastating booms and busts. Despite the established view, Greenspan, the Fed, and big commercial bankers are not the inflation fighters they pretend to be. The Fed and its allied banks are not part of the solution to inflation in the business cycle. They are the problem itself. To limit chronic inflation and boom-bust business cycles, the currency must be backed 100% by gold. That would remove the Fed's ability to print money, which amounts to no more than legalized counterfeiting. Instead, there would be a monetary system where gold serves to anchor the dollar, rather than the fiat reserves created by the Fed. If we were to establish a real gold standard, the average American family would benefit tremendously. First of all, there'd be more jobs, better jobs, more secure jobs, more business opportunities, no more business cycle, no more recessions and depressions. People's savings would be secure. You wouldn't have to worry if you put away money for your old age that its value would be stolen by the central bank and by the central government uh, as they are today. Under a 100% gold standard, there would be no place for fractional reserve banking. For checking accounts and other demand deposits, the banks would keep reserves on hand to meet depositors' claims. Banks would receive a fee from their customers for keeping their gold. In loan banking, investors would hand over their money for a fixed period of time to earn interest. Once the gold standard is in place, individual bank depositors would always have access to their money and investors would be kept informed of their balance sheets. And at a national level, a tight rein would be kept on government spending. You have uh, relatively price stability. You have uh, a stable purchasing power uh, for the money. You eliminate the uh, business cycle. You have reasonable interest rates rather than gyrating interest rates. And you get rid of the political manipulation of interest rates and the political manipulation of the money supply. And uh, this then preserves wealth and builds wealth and allows for economic growth. It's as simple as this. Sound money means economic prosperity and limited government. Unsound money means inflation, recessions, and depressions, and big government. What sort of system do we want for our family? Don't we want prosperity and security that we can hand on to future generations? Transition to a gold standard will not be easy, but as Murray put it, the alternative is much worse. Since 1980, the Fed has enjoyed the absolute power to do literally anything it wants. To buy not only U.S. government securities, but any asset whatever. To buy as many assets and to inflate credit as much as it pleases. There are no restraints on the Federal Reserve. The Fed is master of all it controls.
food prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, and Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit discount gold and silver trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. I'm Alfred Adisk, and this is Financial Survival for Wednesday, 14th day of January, year of our Lord, 2015. Our guest today is Greg Hunter. He'll be joining the show in about eight minutes. In the meantime, here's the market reports. Gold is down $1.60 to $1,230.30. Silver is down $0.25 cents to $16.95 per ounce. Platinum is down eight bucks to one thousand two hundred thirty-seven dollars, and palladium. I don't know what happened to palladium. It's down forty-one dollars today. That's five percent. Uh, I have no idea why. Uh, it's something strange. Palladium is off five percent, and it's down forty-one dollars to seventy-seven hundred seventy-eight dollars per ounce. Take a look at the paper markets. Dow Jones was down over 300 points earlier in the day. They've come back to where they're still down about 181 points. NASDAQ is down 22. Well, let me give you Dow Jones is uh, off about 181 points to 17,433 points. NASDAQ is down 22 points to 4,039. New York Stock Exchange is off 53 points to 10,570. Uh, U.S. Dollar Index is down 0.19 to 92.06. And crude oil, this is huh, who would have who would have who would have thunk it? Crude oil is up two dollars and 45 cents to 48 dollars and 34 cents per barrel. Now, that's interesting to me because 
We actually broke below $45 per barrel here just in the last day or so, but only briefly. It didn't close at that price. Um, but it, you know, it's too early to say for sure, but perhaps 45 is the bottom. Not going to bet on it. I'm not going to be surprised if crude oil continues to fall lower. There are some people that are uh, betting on futures where crude oil will get down below 30 bucks a barrel. I don't expect to see that myself, but who can say? It is surprising to me. Crude oil is up $2.45 today, and palladium is down $41. Uh, just an interesting world, certain amount of randomness in it, and perhaps even meaning. We are getting close to, let me see if we have, if uh, Greg Hunter has been, is he available yet, Frank? Um, Frank may or may not have called him. Nope, not on the line yet. So I have to talk, I have to find something to talk about for the next several minutes. So let's talk about the slowdown in China, bruises economy in Latin America, and this is from the New York Times. And the argument here is simply uh, few people are as intensely worried about the slowing Chinese economy as Latin Americans. And they go on and they, they point out the relationship between China and Latin America, the economic relationships. And the point behind the article is that the whole world is increasingly interconnected and interdependent. And this is a function of globalism, which... We have wealthy people running multinational corporations that are paying other people to promote the idea that global free trade is some sort of a great blessing. I don't believe that. All right? I think there's a problem with global free trade. When we knock down our tariff barriers, it, global free trade certainly is bad news for countries like the United States of America because it has an adverse impact on our employment. Without tariffs to essentially prevent cheap foreign goods from entering this country, we're losing. Uh, it, it's one of the factors that contributes to significant unemployment in this country and even corporate bankruptcies and people going out of business and whatever. And people say, oh, oh this is great. We're going to have global free trade. There is no way that global free trade can finally serve the best interests of the people of the United States of America because it's going to cost us jobs. It's going to cost us income. It's going to diminish our standard of living. If we're going to compete with cheap Chinese labor, inevitably our standard of living, our wages are going to have to fall in the direction of the cheap Chinese labor. We're not going to get down to that level, but that's the implication so this article is about the interrelationship between China and Latin America, and they're right. Maybe it's better. You know, people are against nationalism, or at least the New World Order doesn't want any nationalism. They don't want you to take care of your country, your state, or your community. They want all of this to be just one big homogenized, I don't know, milkshake of, of a global economy where we're all in the same economy together. And if we are, to the extent we're interconnected, it means that if one nation has a serious problem, that problem is going to work. We're going to be more like 
that field of dominoes that you see on a basketball court. Each nation is now a domino, and if one topples, it may topple all of them. This business of globalism is dangerous. It's contrary to our best interests, and uh, you need to watch out for it. You can't just accept the idea from your congressman, your senator, your president that globalism is good for you. Globalism is good for the people that run multinational corporations and are able to build things in one country where labor is cheap and sell them in another country that still has enough wages where they can make enough wealth, where they can make exorbitant profits selling the products. Uh, It ultimately will impoverish everyone except those people associated with the multinational corporations. Greg Hunter is on the line, and... Where am I? Greg is the uh, he's the man behind USAWatchdog.com. He hosts remarkable interviews, really remarkable interviews. He manages to recruit people who are knowledgeable and controversial to speak on his program, and he gets some really remarkable admissions from these people and insights. And for example. Now, this, here's one that goes back where this goes back to November, but it's still an extraordinary interview. He talked to Rob Kirby, and Mr. Kirby, he alleged that in Asia, the price of gold in large quantities, being sold in large quantities, there might be a 50% premium on it in Asia. Hello, Greg. How are you doing? Good. How are you doing? Just fine. Have you had opportunity to confirm, deny, refute Greg or excuse me, uh, um, Rob Kirby's analysis on your program or claim that the uh, the gold was in some instances selling for up to fifty percent premium in Asia? He stood by that. He said he says not all deals, but some deals. Uh-huh. We're talking tonnage now. We're not talking about a oh I found a bar at a Store. We're talking about tonnage. We're talking about we're talking about big big plays. He is a guy that ranges big big plays. So you know, He's, people no. find it on the internet. Yeah, yeah, okay, that's right. You couldn't find it on the internet. I don't get my news from the internet. Sometimes I actually have people out here making news, and you know, not everything is posted on the internet. If you're overpaying for gold, I mean, it's just uh, overpaying for what the paper spot price is. It tells me that people are. At the, at, are quietly panicking into it. And the reason why they would do that in the face of deflation is because of collateral. You know, we've been told that bonds are collateral. Bonds yeah. are a store of value. And if, of course, if rates go up, you know, that's, you know, and the collateral gets corrupted and derivatives, you know, mess things up. You know, we'll find out that that's not true. That bonds, that debt is collateral. That's what that that's what we what they say. We also been told that debt is money. We're going to find out neither is true in today's special circumstances. That neither is true. That you know, all this debt on the books is being held as collateral. Think about that. Think of collateral. Think of well, we'll put this up for collateral. We'll put these bonds up for collateral. We'll put mortgage-backed securities. What happened with mortgage-backed securities? Nobody trusted the mortgage-backed security bonds. Nobody trusted the collateral. Oh, well, they're backed by houses. Well, they're backed by houses with no equity in them is what happened. You know, we're backed by houses where people could take out 
uh, all the equity uh, in a house, in a home equity line. Uh, you know, I had a local bank here uh, tell me that they had uh, 90, I'm not going to disclose it, but, you know, this was several years ago, disclosed that, uh, you know, that they had $90 million in, in, in mortgage-backed securities. And I said, well, you, you, this is, there's no public market. People don't realize that there's no public market. If you want to sell part of that conscious of debt, you have to get on the phone to call Bob in Dallas or Mary Jane in, in uh, you know, New York, or you have to call somebody, and it's a peer-to-peer, you-to-me uh, issuance, which means there are no public markets, which means there is no, there are no, no standards, there are and no regulations, there, no, there are no guarantees. You understand yeah. what I'm saying? That's why, oh, that's why when you buy something on the Chicago Board of Trade. You say, hey, I want to get you know X amount of tons of, uh, of corn. They can't mix beans in there. They can't say, wow, this is really light. Uh, let's get the water hose and stick the water in this. They can't do that. Why? Uh, Why can't they sell beans one mix up beans and corn, stick some dirt in there? Why can't they do that? Well, it would be fraud for there one standards. Thing. There's regulations. Yeah. There's good delivery standards. There are regulations. There are rules. Okay. Well, there are no. Imagine now, now, now. Take a look at the multi hundreds of trillions of dollars. Well, uh, the, the Bank of International Settlements says there's, uh, you know, uh, let's just use the official number, a quadrillion, a thousand trillion. Derivatives. Say it's more. Derivatives. A quadrillion. Yep. Now, let me have people say it's more. And so people think that that's that they have insurance, that they have derivatives, that they have equity, and what can happen when nobody trusts the equity? We're back to the mortgage-backed securities. We're back to the derivatives. We're back to all that. When that happened in in 2008, that's why credit seized up. That's why the U.S. government had to back well everything. That's why we printed out 16 trillion and handed it out to everybody all over the world. Nobody trusted the collateral. Yeah. Now, fast forward to, well, it's a deflation. No, it, 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 I mean, deflation is the destruction of debt. Oh, you mean those bonds they're using as collateral? And that's, and that's, therein lies the, you know, I'm not a, a I don't Well, here's the, here's the big problem with this. In this debt-based monetary system, we can look back and we can say, maybe the government can't pay the national debt. And the average person is going to say, well, <laughs> well, big deal. What do I care? Well, well the reason it's important is one man's debt is another man's asset. And if we right. cancel $16 trillion in national debt for whatever reason, we also wipe out $16 trillion in paper assets. Bing, 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 bing. Yeah. That's the, the deflationists are saying that, uh, well, you know, all that stuff gets destroyed. Well, it, it, oh, really? So you're going to, so it gets, it, okay, it can, it can get destroyed. Uh, so according to John Williams, at least $16 trillion in liquid dollar assets, treasury bonds, bills, cash, is held outside the United States. So what are you going to tell all those people that, oh, that's so good, sorry. <laughs> yeah, sorry about yeah, that. You just lost sixty trillion, and so, and incidentally, so did you folks in the United States. This goes to pension funds. It goes to savings ding, accounts, ding, where ding, banks. Ding, ding. God knows where it all goes. But ding, once ding, ding, you wipe yes, out the ding, debt, ding. you wipe up the wipe out the correlative assets, and all yeah, of a sudden, right. people the, they got the paper. I'm a millionaire. I got a piece of paper that says I'm a millionaire. No, you don't. You got nothing but a promise to pay. You have an IOU, and it is only good if the guy who signed it is able to make good on his payments. If he can't, then that's where we're headed right now.
and Guess good what? times. You got a piece that of paper. works. In good times, that works. That worked in the nineties, man. That, that worked. Yeah, that I understand. Worked. <laughs> you in bad can... times, that don't work. We're going to find out again. We've been told debt is money and debt is collateral, and we're going to find out neither is true. I know. How soon? There's the Federal question. Reserve note. Oh, Federal Reserve note. That's a debt instrument, like a promissory note. That's all it is. I owe you. It's a, and you can't, you know, you it's, it's and they can they can default on the notes. And if they do, though, you wipe out the asset, and that's the danger. If you you know, in the Bible, they have a in the Old Testament they had a jubilee every fifty years where they wiped out all the debts. Was it fifty or seven? I thought it was fifty. My understanding is fifty, but regardless of how many years are in there, they wipe out the debt periodically. That wasn't a bad thing, and it didn't really hurt their economy because the money was still in an asset form. You can wipe out the debt. For example, I might borrow $1,000 from you, okay? And we get to the Jubilee, and we cancel that debt. All right, but the money I borrowed was not a debt instrument. I borrowed assets, like chunks of silver, chunks of gold. That asset was still in the economy. I might not have it anymore. You might not have it anymore. There's a little bit of a problem there. The creditor loses, but the money, the money, the tangible money, is still in the economy, which means the economy, we've just prevented an accumulation of capital. We've prevented somebody from getting too rich for the whole for the whole economy and for the whole nation to bear. But the money is still there. If in the monetary system we have today, which is not based on assets, if the debt disappears, so do the assets. You can't have a jubilee. You can't well, cancel the debt without putting the country I, in a depression or worse. And that's, and that's what credit default swaps are. They were, oh, I'm going to take some risky stuff, but I'm going to buy an insurance policy, and I'm going to transfer my risk to AIG. I'm going to transfer my risk to AIG. That's great until somebody, and, and, until the person you transferred your risk to can't pay that policy. That's, that works great until the person is asked to perform and can't. Yeah, it's just it's an enormous Ponzi scheme, and mathematically it has to break down, and the only question is when. Let's take a break for some commercial announcements. I'll be back with Greg Hunter from USAWatchdog.com on financial survival. Please stay tuned. contain antioxidants, an effective germicide that kills whooping cough bacteria and makes breathing easier. Just imagine what you can do with thyme herbs when it comes to respiratory ailments like croup, pneumonia, asthma, and sinusitis. The extra benefit of thyme herb is that it soothes the nerves and stops spasmodic coughing, so you can get some rest. Who says you don't have time to take care of yourself? Call Apothecary Herbs toll-free for thyme tincture and tea to soothe your cough and get some rest. 866-229-3663 
That's 866-229-3663, International 704-875-8010, or online at thepowerherbs.com. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19, 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. from usawatchdog.com where Greg will be with us in just a moment. I want to remind you that Melody has a special discount gold and silver, $25 face value, 90% silver for $370. This includes shipping costs. Again, $25 face value, 90% silver coins for $370 and it includes shipping costs. Give Melody a call at 1-800-375-4188. The office is open now. Give her a call, 1-800-375-4188. Greg Hunter and I have been talking about uh, what's going on in the economy and how how bizarre, crazy, and even self-destructive it is to go into a fiat currency because inevitably you run out of greater fools. It's a Ponzi scheme, and when you do, then the whole thing collapses. It, it turns into a terrible situation. You interviewed a man named Charles Nenner uh, just in the last couple of days, today yeah. perhaps. Um, yeah, and it was he is uh, predicting that there will be a major war exploding soon. Yeah, if you, and, and his and I'll give you the thumbnail of his. Uh, of course, I'm not Charles Bender because he's brilliant, but I'll give you the dumbed down uh, Greg Hunter version. And that is, if you look back a hundred years, you look back to World War One, and then you really uh, that was a major war. But really, World War One and World War Two, the beginning of a major war, is 1914, uh, 1915. The U.S. got dragged in 1917, I think. I'm close, uh, but anyway. Um, you know, it really was uh, World War One and World War Two were one war with uh, you know about 20-year peace between them. 
so it was a major war. And when he says major war, he talks about, you know, big body counts, you know, big, you know, lots of death. I mean, uh, he, he had said that, uh, you know, if you take a look at uh, Iraq and Afghanistan, they're not major wars. I mean, they're painful and they're destructive, and we spent a lot on them. But when you talk about major wars, in terms of body counts, we didn't have millions, like just in the Russians alone, fighting the Germans in World War II, lost 27, 20, I want to say 27, to 20, 27 million. I heard a couple of numbers, but 27 million from a Russian that sent me, corrected me when I said 20 million, but it's a big number. Yeah. Imagine America losing 20 million people in a war today. Ever. Uh, yes. Ever. We've number. never seen anything like that in this country. But, even the Civil War was nothing to compare, and that was our most deadly conflict, but even that does not compare to 20 million. Uh, relative to the size of our country, it was, you know, it was pretty big. Pretty big. Yeah, the Civil War was a big problem. I don't doubt, I'm not, I'm not denying that a small number. It was Anyway, the uh, but the but you know you take a look at the specter of nuclear war and there's you know we have we think there are people in power that think we can win a nuclear war. They got to be out of mind. That's kind of crazy. Can anybody yeah. win a nuclear war except the people that are maybe selling nuclear arms and even them? Well, I just just think what happens to our Ponzi scheme. I mean, the whole deal blows. And, you know, I think you should have some, I know, uh, and I'll say what Bob Moriarty said, who runs a site called 321 Gold, and he said this, and just, I keep repeating the story, I think he's just a brilliant guy. He runs a site, 321 Gold, he talks all about gold, miners, gold, big gold component, and he started his article, I'm going to make people a lot really mad by saying this, but you, cash is going to work really good for a short amount of time when it's finally, when the big one finally hits. It's going to work really good. I don't know if it's three weeks or three months or six months. I think it's going to be three weeks to three months, but it's going to work really well. Somebody else said people aren't going to understand a – now, you doesn't mean you shouldn't have gold or silver. You know, people aren't going to – the rank and file aren't going to understand you know, a, a, uh, a 1964 or earlier dime. You're not going to say, oh, this is worth two bucks, and they're going to see it, they're going to say it's a dime. Even though it's not 90% silver, it's a, what, a 14th of an ounce. But um, so, you know, so for a short amount of time, it's going to work really well. I believe the next calamity will come along with it. One of the features is going to be a new currency. I really do. Yeah, but how are – that's an interesting I don't know how they're going to do it. I don't know how they're going to exchange it. I don't know what they're going to do. Uh, I just but don't know. I don't here's, know. Here's To me, the, the big question is, will it be another fiat currency – that is essentially debt-based, and we have it on pink pieces of paper rather than green pieces of paper, or will they come up with a currency that's backed by precious metals like gold or silver? There's a, there's a couple of different um, scenarios on that. One of them was Jim Rickards, who was on my show, and he says that the, they'll come up with the uh, special drawing rights at the IMF, um, you know, the FDR. Uh, which is supposedly the cleanest balance sheet. It's another fiat currency. People like Jim Sinclair at JS Mindset, brilliant guy, another brilliant guy, says they won't go from one fiat to another. You'll never get anybody to trust it. Yeah, but here's the problem. There are reports. When Germany went to, after their fiat currency blew, they went to the Renten mark, which was based on what? Rents. So it was based on something, not just we'll just print all we want. We're supposedly... You know, we're supposed to be, uh, you know, uh, tying our currency to the GDP, and, and it is backed with, by something. It's backed by oil. And the big story today, I want to just segue into this, is that, you know, this thing with Russia is is going to have some downside, and the downside is Russia's going to 
pull out of the petrodollar scheme. They're going to sell their foreign reserves. They're not going to buy and sell oil in dollars. They won't recycle their dollar-sold uh, oil back in dollars. They are going to get out of it. They're going to sell, sell, sell. And so, and and the problem is, is is that well, it's like the first, you know, it, it, it's like the first cow through the through the gate. The hardest thing about herding cows when I was a farm boy in Missouri was getting the first one through the gate. Well, once the first one goes through the gate, in this case, you know, it's a giant-sized 2,000-pound bull, then the rest will follow. And who wants to be in the petrodollar? When everybody is leaving the petrodollar, who wants to be holding the petrodollar bag when everybody starts abandoning it and says, yeah, we'll trade for rubles or gold or we'll barter for wheat or oil or, you know, or, you know, finished products or whatever. I mean, and it's no longer being saved. It's no longer being saved as a world reserve currency. It's not, it's recognized as a means of transacting perhaps, but not as a way to save your money. Now, for the moment, it is because we see evidence of deflation. But let me ask one question before we go well, further. That's what Dinner said. Well, if he says, I say, well, so you're in the deflation camp. He says, no, 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 no. Uh, so you say, are you the inflation and deflation? And I wrote in my piece, the answer is yes and no. The answer is uh, yes, we'll have deflation. But, but uh, well, after that, no, we won't have deflation. After that, we'll have inflation, big inflation. So deflation first, inflation later. And he's not the only person that said this. I think it's probable, but here's my point. I want to get back. I want to get back to this one question relative to whether the currency is going to be backed by gold or if it's going to be a new currency is going to be another fiat currency or will it be backed by precious metals like gold or silver? And the re- the question is, could we have a gold-based currency? There are certainly rumors and reports that there may not be any gold left in the United States Treasury. They claim uh, to have almost 8,200 tons of gold, but it may be they only have a fraction of that and maybe hardly any at all. How can you have a gold-based currency if there's no gold left in your national treasury? Well, therein lies the problem. A lot of yeah. well, there, nobody knows what's in the what's in uh, Fort Knox. Jim Records, uh, who also has worked for the government and CIA, says we wouldn't be that stupid to sell our gold. Other people, like John and Paul Craig Roberts, who also worked for the government as the assistant treasury secretary for economic policy under the Reagan administration, he invented trickle-down economics, Reaganomics. He says we sold all our gold. There's no way we'd have to – they wouldn't be doing what they'd have to be doing. They wouldn't be doing what they're doing if they had gold, and they have been selling the gold, and they've sold it all. Uh, other people say, well, they probably sold all the foreign holdings of gold that the Federal Reserve has had. And uh, but they still have our gold. But the answer is who knows. And the other the other thing is that the gold market is really kind of small. I mean, if you take a look at the market cap of the gold market, it's uh, of all the mining stocks and gold together. I think it's it equals something a little bit more or less than the the market cap of General Electric. Yeah. I mean, so the price of gold is going to have to go way up. And some people are also predicting that we'll have a, mar- a basket of currencies. That, that's why the SDR may be good. Uh, let, excuse me, may be a good thinking. I don't think it's good. I think we really should back our currency with something. But that's why that some people are, are partial to the S- SDR, and that it would be China says, hey, we want to be, we want a piece of the world reserve currency. We want a basket of the currencies. We don't want any more competitive devaluation, and everybody's going to have one currency. It's sickening, but the Bible predicted this, didn't it? Uh, everyone's had one currency. Somebody can't, you know, lower it. That's what currency wars, Jim Rickard's book was about. 
And his his big quote that it just hits me is that nobody in their wildest dreams would imagine everybody devaluing their currency so they could export their way out of trouble all at the same time. Competitive devaluation. I think yeah, but there's a certain sense behind it because what they can do by devaluing their currency, if they well, all go down at the same time due to inflation, that helps to wipe out the existing debt. Well, it diminishes yes. the inflation. The, the, and if it all happens at the same time, but it's not. The strange thing is the other currencies, the other six currencies in the U.S. dollar index, they're falling while the dollar is going up. I think they're going to reverse that this year. I think they're going to. Well, be able I think to, they have to. I think they're going to reverse it. I think and how they're going to reverse it, and they're going to. And you know, we just had dreadful re, uh, retail numbers come out. Yep. Uh, I don't know if I did. Yeah, tell me if I said this to you. Uh, my prediction was. We're going to have some sort of dislocation in 2014, Dave. You don't remember saying this. Don't say you did. And I said, and I don't know what that is. I don't know if that's a non-delivery of gold. I don't know if that's a you – know, I don't know what that is. Well, I think – but we're going to have something that takes us into 2015. It'll kick off 2015. I, I don't know what it is, but it's going to be something. I think that's the dramatic, shocking decline in the price of oil. Well, I can't recall that you said that particularly, but there are a lot of people that have been saying something similar. I think it was Andy Hoffman. Maybe it was Andy Hoffman. But he was making comments that we're on – no, it was, it was Holter, uh, Bill Holter. You've interviewed him a time or two. Yes, I And maybe that's okay. where I even heard it on one of your interviews where he's saying something happened, he thought, back on a Friday about two weeks ago now. And he was saying – Something had to happen because there was such a dramatic price swing in gold and some other and some other investment vehicles. He thinks something broke on that day, and he couldn't say what it was. He said, I don't know what it is, but I think something's broke. We are at a point where a lot of us, we we can't quite identify what it is. Well, we I something think has banks, happened or is about to happen. The, the banks have got all this leverage, uh, certainly are in trouble. That was a dislocation. The dislocation was, I think, that uh, all this fracking industry and all this easy money, uh, and, and you know, people had unlimited capital that could make risky bets. They didn't have mm-hmm. to go into it, wade into it slowly. The cost of money was diddly squat. And uh, what happened was that all of a sudden now half of the uh, projects in North Dakota are underwater. Uh, oil companies are laying, I mean, oil companies, you name it, the Suncor, uh, you know, big oil companies, uh, uh, uh you know, are laying off people like crazy. They're stopping drilling. They're stopping, uh, you know, uh, looking for oil. They are just, the oil industry is coming to, you know, at least the exploration is coming to a halt. The uh, shale industry, you can't make money at 40, and one of the things that Enter said, I said, do you think this is the bottom? He says, well, if you look at it on a chart, he didn't comment whether it was manipulated or not. Some people think it is, like Greg Manorino, for example, he's a smart guy. Nobody's right all the time, but Manorino's right a lot. But uh, he says, uh, but Netter and Manorino say the same thing about the chart, is that the chart is going straight down. I mean, you had a what, a 50%, 60% decline in the price of oil. We went from 106.7 in July, June to uh, 43. And Nenner says that if you look at the chart, it's going straight down. And he says it's hard to pick a bottom when you see a chart like this. When you see a chart going straight down, you, oh, that's, the, that's the, what Wall Street says, catching a falling knife. I mean, you know, you're trying to catch up. You don't know where the bottom is. I think what happened here, they're made in a V, they're formed. And so I don't know if we're at a bottom. I don't know if we're going to get a little 
pop back up. I mean, we just got one today with Russia saying we're going to sell all of our, we're going to sell a bunch of, you know, $88 billion in dollar reserves, and we have another $500 billion sovereign wealth fund. We're going to pop up the euro. Excuse me, we're going to pop up the ruble. They've already raised their interest rates to 17%. Imagine that. I mean, one day you come out, we're going to raise interest rates 6.5% to 17%. Boom. I mean, we, we, we can't even raise interest rates a quarter of a percent. You know, we I can't understand. cut back or raise taxes on $85 billion. I don't think we ought to be raising taxes now. And going back even to Roman times, whenever you raise taxes, the net, the paradoxical result was a decrease in um, Tax revenue. in revenues to the state. Yeah, yeah I understand. That. Going back to Roman times. But it's so still one of those things right where that. new math is teaching us we can still defy history, mathematics, common sense. Uh, we, we People in positions of power can make it happen if they have sufficient will to make it happen. You mentioned the manipulation with the with the uh, price of oil, and some people yeah, believe it's both do the price of everything. The price of everything. Yeah, we see it across. But I think what's happened, I would agree that the price of oil started falling due to manipulation, but I think they've lost control of it. I think it continued. Once it got started, it was like that avalanche uh, metaphor that a lot of people use. All right, we finally got the one snowflake. It started the snow moving, and now all of a sudden, uh uh-oh, how do we stop it? I'm not sure they – I think there's supply-demand concerns. There is. There is. It's because the economy's slowing down. You can't discount that. But I think that once they got the direction going, they could amplify the direction. Mm-hmm. And so – but if you take a look at uh, – you know, I had um, I had uh, uh, Chris Powell on from Geta. And, you know, he's a, a, a reporter by trade. And uh, like you know, like I am, and uh, and so he was saying, listen, you know, one of the most shocking things was listed in the CME groups 10K, and that's it used to be the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. Now it's the CME group because they they handle COMEX, they handle forex, they handle you know commodity all kinds of commodities, currencies, uh, you know, physical assets, uh, gold and silver. Uh, so they have a group of basket of you know everything tangible, right? And he says in their 10K in, in uh, last year, they listed, uh, this is in 2013, they listed volume discounts to central banks. And he said that, uh, you know, they say that it's liquidity, but that's the liquidity in, in terms of the size of the Atlantic Ocean. It's liquidity in terms of they can create all the money they want to price uh, commodities any way they'd like to price them. And you think about that. If you're printing money, think of the big picture now. If you're printing crazy amounts of money and you don't want people to think we got inflation, wouldn't you like to cap the price of, well, everything? If you can. I think. Well, listen, they're given value. We know the central banks are trading in in all of the CME platforms. Well, let's talk more about that when we return from some commercials. We'll talk about what the central banks are doing with the CME platforms. I'm here with Greg Hunter from usawatchdog.com. Please stay tuned. We will be back on Financial Survival. get older, they are subject to hormone imbalance 
And when this happens, men can experience osteoporosis, memory loss, irritability, blood sugar imbalance, weight gain, enlarged prostate, erectile dysfunction, and risk of stroke. The human endocrine system manufactures hormones. Why not feed your system plant nutrition to make the hormones that are right for you? For centuries, these herbs have been used to balance the male hormone system. Men, you've waited long enough for the male hormone formula. Call Apothecary Herbs toll-free, 866-229-3663 for the male hormone formula. 866-229-3663 or online at thepowerherbs.com. 866-229-3663 where your healthcare options just became endless. Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. I'm Alfred Addis here on Financial Survival with our guest Greg Hunter from USAWatchdog.com. You really ought to check out Greg's website, USAWatchdog.com, because he has some fantastic interviews with a large variety, significant variety of people who are trying to express the truth and not just go along with what's politically correct. He has some wonderful interviews. USAWatchdog.com and Greg Hunter, and when we broke for commercials, you were talking about the relationship between central banks and the CME trading platforms. You want to amplify that, Greg? Well, I, listen, do I know exactly what they're doing and how they're manipulating it? No. Mm-hmm. But listen, CME is saying that they are giving volume discounts to central banks. And the big story is why in the heck is an ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox, uh, MSNBC, CNBC, uh, aren't they saying, hey, what are you at? Central banks have a trading in the commodities market. Why? Why? Just, just pretend it doesn't happen. We'll just pretend we're going to be pretend. Oh, she like the new iPad. She like the new 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 uh, Apple Six phone. Hey, hey, hey! You hear about the new Uber thing? It's forty billion dollars. Hey, stupid, stupid. It's stupid. Well, we are being diverted uh, it's, it's from seeing information. We are being diverted from seeing the truth. What do you suppose? And well, the, the truth, the truth is, is going to be ugly. 
And listen, there was no ever attempt in fixing it, and, there, and this is what should have happened in 2008, and this is what wasn't allowed to happen. Here's the big people, well, it didn't happen, and you know, you know, the crisis you're talking about, oh yeah, it happened. So those crises happened, and that's why a lot of big-name people that manage lots of money miss this because nobody in their wildest dreams – I've said this before, I'll say it again – it's pretty damn clear now. Nobody in their wildest dreams that, that people thought the, that they would go to the, the criminal extent they would go to, yeah. and the government would turn a blind eye to it. The whole Bernie Madoff thing. Now let's just talk about that. Story after story after story in USA Today about Bernie Madoff. But one of the, the, the big business relationships with Content, with Gannett, which owns USA Today, is J.P. Morgan. Not very much on J.P. Morgan's. J.P. Morgan paid a fine, reportedly $2.6 billion in fines and restitutions. This was reported. This is reportedly to avoid criminal charges. Why? Why do these schlubs go to jail for two, five, six, seven, Bernie Madoff for life, when the people that helped facilitate it, who paid a $2.6 billion fines and restitutions, hey, they, that was paid by shareholders, incidentally, that none of these people at the top of J.P. Morgan, which there's plenty of reports and evidence that show they knew about it for years, and it's just absolutely outrageous. Why isn't USA Today all over that? Why well, isn't the, the Washington you know, Post it's all over? Why isn't the Washington Post all over that? That's how the evidence is. Uh, justice is for sale in this country. And they admitted to, to they they had, they admitted they paid they paid it to avoid criminal charges. Suppose you could uh, that's how you someone story about and pay a, just pay a fine and well, all right, we'll forget that. Shareholders pay the fine. They don't pay the fine. They don't even pay the fine. Yeah, that's right. Somebody pays the fine. The shareholders. Yep. So it's Not just people who are actually liable, criminally liable. They just skate as long as they can get some other. It was reported. It was reported. I want to be careful about this, but I want to say what was reported. It was reported they paid fines and restitutions to avoid criminal prosecution. Now, I bet you Bernie Madoff would have liked to have paid a fine and restitutions yeah. to avoid yeah, spending the rest of his life in jail. I'll bet you these schlubs that – and I'm not saying these people were good. They're weasels. They're part of a scam, a fraud. I bet you they would have liked to have paid a fine not to spend the next two, five, six, ten years of their lives when they're in the 60s in jail. And that's the problem. This is the problem, and nobody reports, and this is why the mainstream media, this is why CNBC had its worst year ever. You know, it's why? also evidence people will people in positions of power, they say they look at it and they say, look, these guys bought their way out. We can do the same. It becomes, it's not just a way where some wealthy people beat the rap right now. It encourages other wealthy people to engage in similar kinds of fraud. If they can make a fast buck now, who cares? If we get caught, we'll buy our way out. Justice is for sale in this country, and therefore, as long as that perception is there, people are paying attention, saying, I don't need to be honest. I don't need to be ethical. That's just terrible news for the country. It inevitably causes more of the same kinds of problems that we're complaining about. You were talking... We, we were talking about Charles Nenner earlier in the program. Oh, Nenner is a uh, prediction that there's a war, a major war every hundred yes. years. 
Well, and then he takes a look at, and he, you know, he shied away from how many billions, you know, it was hundreds of, tens of millions, oh, say 27 million just for, uh, you know, Russia. Um, I know millions, uh, 6 million Jews, uh, which helped, well, I think, as part of the war cycle. Uh, then he added World War One. He, he looks at World War One, and World War Two, and the peace between it. Of course, not peaceful when the, you know Jews were rounded up in concentration camps. That wasn't so peaceful. But uh, if you look at uh, you know, he just looks at one big war, one and two were one big war. If you add them up, it has to be you know tens of millions, if not you know a couple hundred million people killed in that war. And if you look at World War Two, you know you have. You know, tens of millions anyway killed in that war with all the bombings and, you know, uh, excuse me, I mean, you look at the, the next war, you know, if it's a couple hundred million, I mean, he says that they're amplified, the wars amplify the body counts. And before that, you look at Napoleon. Well, they didn't have hundreds of million, you know, tens of millions of people, if not a couple hundred million people killed in the, in, in the Napoleonic Wars. But take a look at the next cycle, 100 years later. They're 100-year cycles. Take a look at the next cycle. So you go from Napoleon to the next cycle, and that's, whoa, you know, that's uh, amplified. And, you know, Will Rogers, uh, who says we don't have progress? Every war we find a new way to kill each other. Yeah. Well, so the next time we have a war, what is that? what's going to happen there? I mean, are we going to turn Saudi Arabia into a sheet of glass? I mean, what's going to happen? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's uh, it's... Ugly, and you know you got to get right did with. He give, uh, did he tell you how far back he traced this hundred-year cycle? Oh he God, back three, yeah. three, three thousand, three cycles, three thousand years. Does it go back five, ten, a thousand years? How far? How far does this hundred-year cycle? Uh, he he went back hundreds of years. I know. Right. Uh, he stayed, right. I want to say he went back three thousand years. Did he give you any explanation of why this cycle might exist? Yeah, just uh, it's just the cycle he's identified, hmm. and it's pretty hard to refute it. Well, if the evidence is there, it's like at least they weren't manipulating the the data until well, recently. So what do you think the chances are that we're going to see a major war well, I think in we're the near future? One. Well, uh, if you take a look at um, – I can tell you this, so you don't have to go hunt it down in uh, in, in uh, Skype. But if I got a section on my – and I think this is a big deal. I'm not talking about my weekly news rocket, but I give you the preview right now. If you uh, take a look at on my site, and I have a little section called, I'm not trying to plug my site, I'm just telling people go to go get it. Uh, if you take a look at people, take a look at, I just post, I just get stuff during the week, and I go, hmm, that's interesting. And it's a, it's a, it says top stories from around the web, and you click on top stories from around the web, and you look down, and uh, story number two and story number three. Story number two, Russia increases combat capabilities uh, in Crimea, sees Ukraine conflict worsening, which I've been saying this for a while. This is not over by a country mile. I don't know who's right. I don't know who's wrong. I don't know who shot down the jetliner, although it's pretty suspicious. Uh, I really don't know. It's hard to say. Here's what happened. It was false flag. I don't care what it is. That is going to turn into a uh, that is going to turn into a war. And I think we're going to have global war on a, a couple of fronts. Now let me move on. The next story down, third one down. Boots on the ground. Remember we were told no boots on the ground, and then Jeff Jack Dempsey, yeah. the head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, was saying that. Um, no, he's Jack, Jack Dempsey, isn't it? Yes. He said that, uh, you know, he um, said, well, you know, if this doesn't work, I think this will work. Of course, he looked at him, he knew he was lying. I think this will work, but, um, you know, you know, if it doesn't work, let's have to go to the president. Well, that's what he's doing. They got it. They can't have boots on the ground. A lot of this equipment they took out of Afghanistan is going to, oh, um, you know, Kuwait. You know, and they'll put it there because they don't want to be overrun by ISIS. I mean, they're going to be terrified by these people. And so 
with a Republican uh, uh, House and Senate, uh, they're probably going to authorize, and we're going to put people in there to try to knock out ISIS. Now, I don't know. I, I'm very wary about having Barack Hussein Obama, who will not even mention the words Islamic and terrorist in the same sentence. And a lot of the stuff they're getting, like, I mean, I was listening to Fox, and I've seen one uh, you know, Muslim after another saying, eh, it's in the Quran. And if you go look it up, a lot of the stuff is in the Quran. Anybody who believes in God the Father and Jesus, the son, uh, you know, is, a, is a, an apostate and should die. And this is not a religion of peace. According to no. uh, one of the clerics that came was on a interview uh, this week, I believe I saw it on Fox, it's not peace, it's submission. Yep. And, exactly else, right. uh, and they'll move in as the religion of peace until they are a significant percentage, and all of a sudden well, you'll find out that your new neighbors are not necessarily as peaceful as you might have thought. A lot of Muslims are peaceful, but you know, we, but there's so many of them. It doesn't take a big percentage for this to be very, very disruptive globally. I mean, they say the number is one point for 1.6 or 1.7 billion. Let's just say 1.6 billion. If it's 10 percent who believe and they're getting this from the Quran, mm-hmm. uh, there's there are passages in the Quran that we don't believe in the same God. We don't. We we do not believe in the same God. Anybody who says we do, we don't. I'm sorry. It's in the Quran. We believe in God the Father. If you're a Christian, you believe in Christ. You believe in, in in God the Father. Okay? They don't say they don't believe that. They say that God that God didn't need a son. They didn't need that. And and Christ is only a um, he's only a a, a a prophet and much lower than than Muhammad. Even though Christ came along 600 years before most, the Muslim religion. But anyway, I'm just saying that's what's in the Quran. I'm talking about a belief system. We have a clash of cultures. That's the big picture. The big picture is a clash of cultures. Now, if it's only a percentage of Muslims, okay, I'm not, it, it, but it's a, but a small percentage is a, is a lot of people. What is the made? What is the majority doing to tamp down on the minority that are radical and aggressive? By not much. That's the it's problem. Just not much. It's and not just a question these... of the lunatics are doing what they want to do. It's well, then you hear the don't... other people that are allegedly peaceful who have a handle on this aren't doing much to hold them back. Uh, and then you have this thing about happened in, uh, in you know Charlie Hebdo, and you know there's all this oh yep. they left their IDs in the car, and what well, would they do that? And this looks like a, you know a military operation maybe, uh, you know. And but you can't just look at Charlie Hebdo, and you can't just jump to conclusion. You know, uh, you, the, you know they say well they like to go out and, and go out in a blaze of glory, but they left their IDs and they ran. Well, they, did you, does anybody think they thought they were going to just waltz out of France after murdering a dozen people? Did you think they thought they were? No, come on. Especially and if they're really shouting, they you know, praise Allah, their... and Allah has been, the Prophet has been avenged well, and whatever. Um, well, they're the point I wanted to make. They left their IDs in the car. Well, wouldn't they, if they, wouldn't they want to get credit for this with their buddies as they were being hunted down and they could make it last as long as they can and they would have their faces and names and they would be taking credit for this? I mean, they had a shootout and they died. But let's just, let's just, move, let's just move past it, whether it's a, a false flag attack or not. I don't know. Listen, those Jews that were killed in that market, was that a false flag? How about those hundred and something school kids in Pakistan that were murdered? Was that a false Was that caused by Langley and Mossad? How about Boko Haram and they just killed, butchered 2,000 people, shot them in the back, and killed them, shot them in the butchers? Was that a Langley operation? How about all these no-go zones in France and Europe? Is that, that a Langley operation? Is that, That's insane. That, to allow that to happen, just absolutely that, insane. So are there false flags? Yes. But that doesn't paper over the much larger 
problem. All this violence, France is the third biggest country for Jews, and they have all this violence. We don't have the, the Jews coming into the uh, Muslim neighborhood. We have the Muslims, some, coming into the Jewish neighborhoods. So, I mean, uh, it, we we have all these no-go zones in in, uh, in uh, the U.K. and in France. They would just kind of make it go away. This is their usual thing now. This is what they do it's with Hitler. Let's just ignore it. It's okay. It'll just go away. Well, you, no. It's not going to go away. Do you think now the Muslims have gone problem. too far? And I don't mean the whole it, it, the perception of the Muslims. I know that's not... Uh, you know, 100% everybody marching to be the same drummer. But in a sense, do you think the Muslims have gone too far with Charlie Hebdo? Oh, God, yes, they did. They went crazy time. Yeah. And they took credit for it. Now there's, there's all kinds of responses from, you know, countries like uh, Yemen. Uh, this is a group, this is good, and the leaders are weak. And, and uh, you know, listen, this is, uh, this is a huge – it doesn't – all Muslims are not bad. Let me make that perfectly clear. But but there's such a large group of Muslims that it, if you have 10% a crazy time, if you have 1% of the million six, yeah. I mean, a 10% is 16 million. Are we? Is the United States perfect? No. I want to say something. I want to say something else too. I want to make. You got 15 speech. seconds. Nowhere in the world can I sit here and criticize the government. You couldn't do this USA watchdog, Russia watchdog, and Russia and criticize Putin. You couldn't have China watchdog and criticize the leadership there. You couldn't have uh, you know Muslim watchdog and criticize the Imams. You couldn't do it. You could do that in America. Nobody's all good and nobody's all bad. America's not all bad. There's my 15 seconds. I agree. Greg, thanks very much. We always appreciate having you on the program. I want to thank all of you folks for listening and invite you to visit usawatchdog.com with Greg Hunter. I'm Alfred Addis. This is Financial Survival. Melody and I will be back tomorrow. In the meantime, with the good Lord bless you, me, Greg Hunter, and Frank, the producer. Bye-bye. All night I work all day to pay the bills I have to pay. Ain't it sad? But still, there never seems to be a single penny left for me. That's too bad. In my dreams, I have a friend. If I could be your well-being man, I wouldn't have to work at all.
guys in your area and ask them questions until you can find a dairy that you trust. And you can find local grass-fed dairies on the database of Eat Wild, but not all listed are organic. So personally, I don't eat dairy products. Why? Because I'm lactose intolerant. Okay, that's it. I, I that that that's me. Okay, but there was a, a public a, a letter a, a paper published, written by some Harvard pediatrician that said humans have no nutritional requirement for animal milk. If you need to get absorbable calcium, you can get it from green leafy greens, nuts, seeds beans, and legumes. And the vitamin D that you get in milk is only there because it's fortified with it. So it's no different than taking a vitamin supplement. And vitamin D is naturally prevalent in salmon, which is full of saturated fats, and egg yolks, which is loaded with excess protein, hemp seeds, and some mushrooms. But the best place to get vitamin D is from that shiny thing that's up in the sky during the day. It's, it's also known as the sun, and that's the most and, and most efficient way for you to get vitamin D. So if you have family or friends that are still eating and buying conventional dairy products, talk to them. If we vote with our dollars and choose organic over conventional, we will have an everlasting impact on our health, our environment, and for our future children. And if we go organic as best we can, in no matter what it is, be it milk, be it food, be whatever, we will take the biotech industry and kick them so hard in the butt that the only thing they can do is pay off more politicians to ban anything that's organic. So I want to talk about, oh, you know, most people out there eating processed foods. Personally, I have not eaten a processed food. I, I can't even count the years. But there are some real bad ones out there. And doctors have been telling us that clean eating is the right way to eat. Well, if you can find a doctor that knows anything about nutrition, you're very lucky. But that means that no processed foods should be eaten. Instead, you should eat whole foods, which are the real foods that you find. And they're usually on the perimeter of the store because the processed foods are the foods that are prevalence in the store, and there are any foods that have more than one ingredient and anything that has been processed or made in a factory. So the more a food that's closer to nature, the healthier it is. I mean, maybe some processed foods that are still healthy, like frozen vegetables, but, you know, they may have added butter, which we now know is not the enemy we once thought it was or almond or peanut butter, which are processed, but they're, you know, they're, they're healthier processed foods. 
You know, I mean, it, 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 you know, in most cases, though, the term processed means a food that has been chemically processed, and those foods are usually made from heavily refined ingredients with artificial additives. So, if you want to talk about some, they got these chicken nuggets out there, and they got these fake vegetarian chicken nuggets. And while they're a food that every kid seems to grow up on, you got to avoid them like the plague. Unless, of course, you're making them from scratch at home. You know, but in a restaurant or in the freezer section of the grocery store, the ones that you're going to find are made with large amounts of salt, preservatives, unhealthy fats, GMOs, and MSG. Then you got granola bars. And even though granola bars have been marketed as a healthy snack, they usually have large amounts of high fructose corn syrup, which is
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.